It's the Opperman Report. Join digital forensic investigator and PI Ed Opperman for an in-depth discussion of conspiracy theories, strategy of New World Order resistance, high-profile court cases in the news, and interviews with expert guests and authors on these topics and more. It's the Opperman Report. And now, here is investigator Ed Opperman. Okay, welcome to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator Ed Opperman, and the show is brought to you by emailrevealer.com. You go to emailrevealer.com, you can get a copy of my book, How to Become a Successful Private Investigator. Also, too, we have all different kinds of services on there, locates. If you think your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend's cheating on you, you give us their email address, and we catch them cheating online. Emailrevealer.com. We've got a really interesting show for you today. Uh, my guest is Jody Marie, and her website is healthyveganrecipe.com. There's no S at the end of that. Healthyveganrecipe.com. And her Instagram is sexyplantbasedchefs. We met Jody because uh, what happened was I went to a, uh, a class on zero waste. I was talking about this at the last week of the week before. Uh, we did this little class on zero waste, and she was teaching a class. It was really, really interesting. So I figured she'd be a, a good guest for the show. So, Jody, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, great. Okay, good. I thought I thought I had you on mute still. Okay. <laughs> All right, a little technical <laughs> problems here. I'm having a little rough day over here. Uh, so, Jody, tell us about yourself. Who is Jody Marie? Yeah. So, um, well, I'm Jody. I live here in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, but I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, um, in the very, very cold winters. And I decided I wanted to leave that. So, I graduated college a year early in 2011. I was a fashion design and merchandising major. And I moved to Southern California in 2012, right after I graduated. Just, you know, trying to figure out who I am, what my purpose is, what I'm meant to do for the rest of my life. And I've tried everything from door-to-door sales to business management. Um, I was a waitress. And so when I moved to Southern California, I actually picked up modeling. And it was funny because I was the wardrobe and a model canceled and they threw me in there unexpectedly. And that's how I started modeling. And so I've been doing that since 2013. And I absolutely love it. And in the last four years, I also got into real estate. Um, my dad's been in real estate for 26 years. So it was just found that I got into real estate as well. Um, so I've been pretty much all over the board as far as experience goes and just trying to figure out my main purpose um, for being here and just teaching classes. I teach zero waste classes. I teach intro to vegan classes. I teach raw food workshops. I host fruit lucks and meetups and just meeting people in the community, it helped me realize that's my purpose is to help people and to educate people on the things that they do not know and the things that can help them, the planet, and the future of our world. So, you know, I just took this crazy journey to across country to California to try to figure out my purpose. And, you know, just a couple of short years later after that, I, I feel like I found it. And, and how long have you been living in Vegas? I've been in Vegas for four years. Okay. Now. It's interesting you mentioned that you were in fashion design because I was just saying today, yeah. okay, I was just saying today, because uh, the girl who sells me coffee is a, a vegan too. <laughs> and uh, it, oh, really? it's, it, yeah, <laughs> you know, when you start meeting more people that are, that are vegan as you travel around, it comes up in conversation. Mm -hmm. But the, it seems like the girls who are, are vegan are, are very fashionable. Have you noticed that as well? They are or are not? Are. They are. 
Um, I would say yes. I have noticed that in my group of, you know, lady friends that I have. Um, but it always just totally depends on where people came from. A lot of vegans and vegetarians, you know, are from the West Coast and they have that West Coast style that I say. Mm. Um, but I don't know if it has a correlation to um, vegan and fashion related. I know I have a lot of cute vegan clothes that have, like I have this crop top and it says vegan on it and it's adorable and it looks really cute. And so I notice a lot of vegans actually wearing vegan attire and they have like really fun designs and their fruits and vegetables. And so I don't know if there's a correlation between vegan and fashion, but I know that the vegan fashion lines that are out there are totally adorable. <laughs> and another thing too, like, cause I met you at the, the zero waste class that we took and at the go vegan yeah. cafe over there on rainbow. Right. Mm-hmm. And it seems yeah. also too, that uh, it's a very um, sociable type event too, where, where there's a lot of uh, give and take and back and forth conversation with people. Oh, yeah. I've realized that everything that I've done is people just want to communicate and they want to realize that they are not alone in this process. So I call it a class slash meetup because I really want to know what they want to know. If I just sit up there and lecture the whole time, they could already have that information. So I keep it as an open discussion because there's people from different countries that come to my class and they like to share their experience in their countries. Um, there's people that come from different backgrounds that wanted to share their experience. And it can really help people connect with each other because you never know who's going through what. So, for example, if somebody, you know, grew up and they didn't have recycling and they can connect with somebody else who didn't have recycling and, and it just gives you that sense of home when you have a community you know, when you communicate, when you have a conversation instead of just teaching. We can all remember what school was like and sitting in front of a teacher, bored out of our mind. When you open it up to a discussion and pretty much make people participate, it gets them excited because it makes them realize that they can do it themselves. So yeah, it's totally casual. People can get food, they can eat, they can talk. Kids are welcome. Families are welcome. There's no set curriculum for my classes. I kind of just have my basic notes and then I just open it up for discussion and just see what people want to know. So yeah, it's very casual. Now, you were saying off the air that uh, you have three classes coming up or, or events coming up in December. One is raw vegan, no, raw food, intro to vegan, and then zero waste. Uh, do you have the dates for those handy? I do. So the we'll go in order. So December 6th from 6 to 8 p.m. is the Intro to Veganism class and meetup. Again, it's just to meet locals. And it's also at Go Vegan Cafe off of Rainbow in Las Vegas. Um, December 15th from 6 to 8 p.m. is my raw Mexican cuisine class. There is a cost for that. It's $35 at the door. And that is also at Go Vegan Cafe. And we have a four-course Mexican cuisine prepared. Um, I created the recipes myself. And then on December 19th from 6 to 8 p.m., I have an intro to waste-free living um, class slash meetup. And that's also at Go Vegan. And you can get my entire class schedule on my website, healthyveganrecipe.com. Yeah, I can really recommend this Go Vegan place too. It was a very nice, very casual place. And I had the, uh, the, the, the grilled veggie quesadillas. It was very, very good. Uh, the first time I've ever been there, but, but we really enjoyed it. Um, oh, that's great. Now, what happened with you? Did you get involved with zero waste first or, or were you a vegan first? 
Um, vegan way first. Um, actually growing up in Ohio, I was one of the only ones who knew of this and, um, I'm native American and Sicilian. So in my family, it wasn't totally acceptable at the time. Um, I was 14 when I decided to stop eating animal products or at least animal products that I knew were animal products. And over the next couple of years, you know, from age 14 to maybe age 17, I finalized what vegan actually was. So pretty much half of my life, I've been vegan and abstained from animal products, including leather and wool and honey and beeswax and all of that fun stuff. And I became vegan for the animals. I didn't really know much about the environmental or health impact of it. I just knew morally it did not align with what I believed in and how I viewed living beings. So for me, it was 100% for the animals. And as you meet other vegans and hear their why, you'll realize that everybody has their own why. And it's totally different, but we can all come together because we all believe in the same thing. And so it's just really tremendous hearing all these people's stories about whether they did it for health or they did it for the environment. And then again, for me, it was for the animals. But when I moved to Southern California, as we all know, they're a little bit more hip in the um, environmental friendly activities. I started learning more about the environmental benefits of going vegan like reducing global warming and reducing methane and saving water and um, rainforest destruction and endangered species and footprints and all of this stuff just by going vegan um, can make a tremendous impact on our environment. So then I started thinking, okay, well, if it's this bad for the environment, how bad is it for bodies, like for our living vessels that, you know, we we are supposed to take care of. So for me, seeing that animal products cause so much distress to our mother earth, well, what is it doing to our bodies? So then I kind of got into more of the health aspect and, you know, going from, I called it junk, junk food vegan to a plant-based vegan where before I would eat entire, you know, trays of brownies because they were vegan, right? No right. animals are harmed, but that's not good for my health to where I am now teaching raw food classes and living foods. So it's a constant journey that I've been on um, this whole time and it's, it's been fun and it's exciting. So it kind of went from the animals to the environment and then to the health. But you'll find that most people go from health, environment, and then realize um, the impact it has on other living beings. So it's just a total like shift of um, information here. And it's, it's all proven and it's all out there available for everybody to read. So it's, it's quite a journey. The way we got started, me and my daughter, uh, I guess it was about four years ago, uh, we, were, we were in church, mm -hmm. we were going to church and uh, the church was, was going to do this Daniel fast. Are you familiar with the Daniel fast? I'm not. You're going to be amazed by this because it's in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. And it's 21 mm -hmm. days long. And, and what they did, uh, Daniel, he said, hey, you know, the soldiers are all getting fat and lazy. As I'm, you know, I'm going to put them on a diet. <laughs> you know, and yes. it was pretty much what he said. And uh, we're going to cut out uh, no alcohol, no sugar, no bread, just uh, fruits, nuts and vegetables for 21 days. And, and so yes. the church did this, you know, and uh, uh, you can look it up online. They get websites for it and stuff like that all over the place. And uh, we, I just felt so much stronger, especially when you cut out the sugar, you cut out the alcohol, the caffeine for oh, 21 yeah. days. Oh, mm -hmm. my God. Uh, you know, you get a headache the first three days, the first time you do it. And no meat, no fish, no meat, no nothing like that at all. Uh, and, and then after that, you know, then we became sort of vegetarian for a few weeks after that. But then, you know, I saw a hamburger, I slipped a little bit. Uh, but 
Mm-hmm. I just did this. Uh, I did it for uh, 120 days just recently, Daniel Fist. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is once you get off the meat, like even the mm-hmm. thought of eating flesh, you know, animal flesh, it's just repulsive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Like what? I had goosebumps when you said that because I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> right. And now, like, the thought of drinking milk or cheese is just repulsive, you know? Yes. And so it, it's people who don't think it's natural and they say, well, it's natural to eat meat. Well, then why, when you stop eating it, are you disgusted by it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Not like, only that, but if you try to put it back into your body, oh, right. wait, what happens. Oh, forget mm-hmm. it. You're on the toilet in two seconds, you know? Oh, yeah, God. you're not feeling so hot. So, but give people an idea too of, of why uh, for the environment, like you said, it's unsustainable. Uh, we can never we can never produce enough beef uh, to feed the whole world. Uh, get into that a little well, bit. This is my best thing to put it into somebody's perspective to kind of put it on their level. So, if let's just say Billy over here eats one vegan meal one time a week. So it's only one, four vegan meals a month. Billy could save 84,000 gallons of water, 245 pounds of grains that could feed the hungry, over 7,000 square feet of rainforest, 15.5 gallons of gasoline, and can reduce the number of animals being slaughtered, which is actually 10 billion living, breathing animals are slaughtered every year for people to consume. It's not sustainable. It's destroying our health. It's destroying the planet. And if you think about it, it's negative energy. People are eating death. People need to be eating more living foods, like fruits and vegetables that have life into it. And what really hurts me the most is people, you know, not the people who say, I don't care about the animals. I don't care about our future planet. But the fact that over 50 million people um, rely on food stamps and that's just they still have food to think of all the people that are actually dying and starving that could be fed with the grain that we use to feed livestock it's just mind-blowing that people just don't make that connection that we take the feed that could feed hungry people to feed it to the livestock for western culture to enjoy something that ultimately is killing them so for me when people don't understand it i'm like you're eating something that's killing animals the planet and your own health and it's it's just not sustainable um it produces a lot of chemicals like antibiotics and hormone growth are in the food that they eat and not only are they known to cause several types of cancers but they are destroying the ecosystem of the lakes and rivers and surrounding areas so it's an ultimate destruction all around and the information is out there but People tend to not want to hear. They want to have a solution. They want an easy fix. They themselves don't want to have to do something. They just want to snap their fingers and have the problem be solved. But that's not the case here. It's if everybody, even just going to a vegetarian diet, can drastically reduce the footprint that we're leaving on our Mother Earth. Yeah, it's so true. Because people, and my whole life too, when the subject comes up, it just... Your eyes glaze over. You don't want to, you don't want to face it. You don't want to face reality. Uh, but, but I'll tell you something else. And we've all been there. You're right. And that's joy of it. You've been there. I've been there. Everybody who's made this journey, you know, we, we've all had that 
same thought process. Well, maybe I'll ignore it and it'll go away. Or, you know, well, what is one person? I always hear that. Well, I'm just one person. What difference can I make? If all those millions of people who said that made a difference, the world would be a different place. So people have such a small mindset on the possibilities that they have to change the world. They think that they're just one single person, but you don't know the effect that you have on people and the effects that those people will have on other people. And it's a trickle effect, you know? I change one person's life, they change two, those people change four. And before you know it, you have an entire community who had a shift of energy and a shift of what, you know, reality is. Yeah, that's so true. And that's why uh, uh, the power of the microphone and being able to reach people, I, I, is, I see it every day, uh, what becomes accomplished. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but back to the thing about the sustainable and, and, and the, the, the beef industry, because uh, coming from New York, okay, I was born in New York in the Bronx, and, and you think, of, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to go to Peter Lugas for a steak, or I'm going to go to Smith & Winsky's mm-hmm. for a steak. But when, when you move out here to the West, you know, and you drive through California through this farm country, and you drive past one of these big cow cattle farms, cattle ranches the stench uh-huh. it is so filthy the stench of death is uh-huh. in the air and it's just uh, uh-huh. and animal waste is it's not a clean thing it's not a healthy thing we, the pig There's farm here nothing you know, clean about eating animals oh yeah the pig farm here we have in northern uh, Las Vegas yeah. miles around this place there's homes near this thing and the stench is unbelievable Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think of all the disease and bacteria and just it's it's really it is really just disgusting when when you come to the other side and you look at it from a vegan's perspective, you then truly realize how disgusting the food is. You know, people are like, well, we're meant to eat animals. Well, where are your claws? Where are your super fast speeds to touch animals? Yes, you may be smart enough to create a weapon. But if you're comparing yourself to a lion. That is like the most basic analogy people use is, well, well, lions eat gazelles. Mm. And when I hear people say this, it really makes me wonder what they have going on in their head comparing a human to a true carnivore. So it it kind of, when you think about it in that perspective, you know, people are like, well, lions do it. It's like they, they try to come up with so many excuses. I get probably five to six excuses in any one given conversation with the same person. I'm like, well, I thought this was your excuse. And now this is your excuse. And then they get mad and frustrated and angry because, you know, they just don't want to hear what I have to say. So it, it, it's pretty crazy when you think about it. And another fact that's really kind of eye-opening is raising animals for food generates more greenhouse gases than all transport vehicles in the world combined. So people are buying smart cars and people are riding their bicycle, but they're still consuming animal products. So they're not eliminating the most detrimental thing to our planet. So when people realize that, that raising animals for food generates more greenhouse gases than all transport vehicles in the world, that's that's a lot of vehicles, you know, if you think about it in that aspect. So, um, and another one is cows and sheep are responsible for 37% of all methane produced. And if you know anything about methane, it's 23 times warmer than CO2. Hmm. So animal products are literally destroying our planet and our health. So it's like, it comes on all different angles. I always say, if you don't do it for the animals, if you don't do it for the environment, do it for your own health. 
Or if you don't care about yourself and you don't care about the animals, what about the, the I have a, I have a niece, she's two. My sister's going to have, I'm going to have a nephew here in February. And for me to think of a world that they're going to live in devastates me. So it's like, you have to either the animals, the environment or your health, something has to trigger for you to want to make that change. So you have different, you know, outlooks of it. Well, now what about people though who say, well, where are you going to get your protein from? Where are you going to get your fats from? That is, it's just, that's such a total myth. Um, I was a marathon runner, um, four varsity letters in um, high school. I played sports in college. I've ran marathons. I do yoga now. And I don't even count the grams of protein I have because protein is literally in everything. Fruits have amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. Greens, broccoli, peas are some of the main sources of proteins and vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes. I mean, there's an unendless possibility of protein by being vegan. And it's like my, my favorite thing is think of the strongest animals, elephants, gorillas. Where do they get their protein? They eat plants, right? So how can such a strong animal be strong without, without meat? Well, because it gets it from the plants. And they're even more restrictive because they usually only eat a couple different types of plants where we have access to all sorts of different plants that are full of protein. And, you know, the whole protein powder, I've never done any of that because it's not necessary. It's like I've never heard of anybody having a protein deficiency. If anything, people out there dying because they're consuming too much protein and too much animal products. So that that just shows, um, you know, how ignorant somebody is that they just don't even want to admit the fact that there's over hundreds of other sources of protein other than direct animal products. So it's like, okay, you eat the cow to get protein. Well, where did that cow go eat to get protein? Mm. Well, if it's in a factory farm, it was force fed with a bunch of crap. But if it was a natural living animal, it would be eating grass and plants. And that's where it gets its protein to become big and strong. So that is just a total myth. It's been busted for years now. And just people don't want to take that information and try it. And nowadays, there's so many bodybuilders that are vegan and going vegan because it's sustainable. They feel better. They have better muscle tone. They don't have to worry about counting calories. And they, they get plenty of protein. So that, that right there is the easiest myth to bust. So if that's somebody's excuse, that's a good excuse because that's the easiest to bust and the easiest to get over. And what about like the, the fats, though? Because uh, I know teenagers especially, they need fats for their brain to develop. Uh, so what do you recommend for that? A lot of well, avocado, right? Avocado, yeah, avocado nuts, yeah. seeds, jackfruit. There's plenty of other options out there um, besides animal fats. And, and it's kind of sad if people think animal fats are the, the, what's actually going to help grow their brain because it's been linked to so many diseases. Mm. So it's, it's funny when people say, well, I, I need animal protein and animal fat. Well, plant protein and plant fats are bioavailable. They're there ready for you to absorb it. So fat, that's no problem whatsoever. And that's actually easier in the, you know, vegan diet because there's so many nuts, seeds, even jackfruit. It's a fruit. It's a fatty fruit, just like avocados. Avocados are a fruit. Um, people can, you know, add flax seeds. Flax seeds are a great source of omegas. And you can put the flax seeds in your cereal. You can blend them in your smoothie. You can take them in a capsule. You can eat the powder. There's just really so many options out there as well. And they're, generally they're cheaper than animal fats. What do you eat in a, an average day? What's your meal plan? 
Well, I eat a lot of fruits. Um, I say I'm a high carb, low fat. I eat like, let's say, for example, today I had 64 ounces, ounces of orange juice. I had two pomegranates. I had four mandarin oranges. For lunch, I'm actually going to have a uh, raw vegan pizza from Go Vegan Cafe. Um, it's filled with flax seeds and avocados and cashew cheese and tomatoes and onions and peach pea shoots, which are like sprouts. Um, and then for dinner, I'm going to have like a really nice big green salad with some spiralized zucchini, some avocado, um, sesame seed. Um, tahini is a really great um, fat source and it's really creamy and it tastes delicious with all sorts of different veggies in it. And then if I'm hungry for a snack later, I might make a juice, a snack on an apple. Um, so a lot of people think that they need to consume a lot of food. So when you start eating more clean, you get satisfied because you're absorbing, you're eating pure nutrition. So when you drink juice, for example, you're just getting loaded with vitamins and minerals and nutrition, where if you're eating a McDonald's hamburger, why is it somebody can eat seven hamburgers in one sitting? Because they're not getting any nutrition. But why when people eat fruit or greens, especially raw fruit and raw greens, they get full? because their body is fulfilled. Their body has what it needs until it needs it again. But it totally depends on people's lifestyles, what they're doing, their physical activity, the environment they live in. There are days where I eat very little because I listen to my body. If I'm not hungry, I'm not going to force myself to eat. Just like if I'm not thirsty, I'm not going to force myself to drink water. So when you start eating more clean and you learn to listen to your body, you actually know when you're full and to stop when you're full so you don't, you know, overstuff yourself and regret it later. And then you, you get to just get familiar. I don't do a breakfast at nine, lunch at noon, dinner at five. It's I'm hungry now. What can I eat? Oh, I have a bunch of fruit. I'm going to eat that. So you know, and of course that's changed and adapted over my time being vegan. You know, before I would eat, you know, vegan mac and cheese and vegan pizza and all sorts of different food. Literally anything you eat, you can make it vegan. And I started doing raw classes because anything vegan can be made raw. I had, um, I did a Thai feast. I did an Indian cuisine. Um, I did appetizers, desserts. I mean, you name it and I can recreate it. So there's just so many possibilities out there, what you can eat that I literally, other than fruits and vegetables, I don't eat the same thing every day because I have variety. So you said today you're going to have the, the vegan pizza, but now what about on an average day? Would you have bread? Oh, I no. Um, most vegans do consume bread, but I've been more on a whole food plant-based raw lifestyle. And so I personally do not consume. Um, consume bread. So the raw vegan pizza is made with nuts and seeds and flax seeds, um, and it doesn't contain gluten or bread. Um, bread is actually an anti-inflammatory. It inflames the body. So, you know, when people are gluten intolerant, um, if you've ever made seitan or used um, gluten protein, it literally sticks like glue, like it's sticky and it's cloggy. And if you think about eating that, that's what it's doing to your insides. So that's why taking this health journey, it's just been such a it's been very eventful because you go from, you know, thinking you're healthy because you're eating vegan to realizing that vegan is healthier, but it's not the healthiest option that you can have. And you know, everybody's like, well, I don't have time. I'm like, fruits and raw vegetables are the fastest foods. That's the original fast food. It takes me less than five minutes to eat this orange. That's faster than sitting through a fast food drive through and getting the burger and eating that and then having to go back because you're not filled. 
that makes sense. That's funny. You know, I've told the story on the air a few times. So one morning when uh, when Burger King was having that uh, two for one Whopper deal, and I, and I drove mm-hmm. through the drive to like nine, eight o'clock in the morning and I got two Whoppers and I ate both of them and I went back through the line again and I ordered two more. And the girl says, weren't you just here? And I said, no, no, that wasn't me. <laughs> I to deny it. I was so embarrassed. But, you know, my God, what a glutton, you know, eating the four Whoppers. Let me ask you this. What about coffee? Do you have coffee? You know, I used to be a very avid coffee drinker. Um, about two years ago, I did cut it out and I went through the nice, beautiful detox that you were explaining earlier about yeah. headaches and, and I was fatigued and I was a little bit angry. And um, those are all common symptoms of detox symptoms. And so after about, mm, I'd say a week and a half to two weeks, I didn't have those symptoms anymore. And I started replacing my coffee with fresh orange juice in the morning and my energy levels increased and I didn't become dependent on coffee. Now I drank coffee because I personally enjoyed the rich, bitter taste of it. So I liked um, espresso or really rich, dark black coffee. So I didn't drink coffee for the energy per se, or, you know, for the the fluffy fruit drinks at Starbucks or anything like that. I drank it because I enjoyed that rich, bitter taste. And so for me, it was easier to give it up because I was doing it solely for taste versus energy. But um, my dad, for example, he drinks coffee all the time. And for him, in his mind, to give up coffee because he uses that as his energy source, um, it's very difficult for him. And I said, hey, just replace it with a fresh juice in the morning. You're going to go through some detox symptoms. You're going to struggle. Um, but anything stimulating like spicy foods and coffee, you know, drinking, drugs, smoking cigarettes, all of those have a really negative impact on your body. And so for me, being vegan, um, a lot of vegans drink alcohol. A lot of vegans smoke cigarettes. They, they don't realize that them themselves are an animal. And for me, if I don't take care of my temple and I don't take care of my body, I'm not going to be able to help animals because I'm not going to be able to have these classes. I'm not going to be able to, you know, teach people about what I do because I'm going to be, you know, sick or tired all the time. So for me, I believe in, you know, I I need to take care of my body as well. So I want to fill it with the best produce, the best quality locally sourced that I can, because, you know, if I'm going to stand up for the animals and, and for their well-being why am i not doing that for myself that makes sense it does make sense this is a good time to take a commercial break okay we're here with jody marie and she's got a couple of websites you can check out uh, one is called healthyveganrecipe.com there's no s at the end of it healthyveganrecipe.com and our instagram is uh, sexy plant-based chefs uh, and she teaches these great classes down at the go vegan cafe down there on, on rainbow uh, there's going to be three of them in December. One is about raw food. One is intro to vegan. And the third one we're going to be getting into after the break is um, uh, zero waste, which is another fascinating topic, which I, in my past, I, I, I never would have considered I'd be involved in this kind of stuff. But here I am. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of Jody Marie after these messages. And now a word from our sponsors. You can have your ad played here at oppermanreport.com. Every Friday night, 5 p.m., Saturday night, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And on Friday nights, too, we do a live portion for one hour that I just do a live monologue. The ads are very, very inexpensive, and they're also played in the Opperman Report member section. In the member section, you can find all kinds of exclusive content that you won't find anywhere else. It's as cheap as $6 a month, $20 a quarter, or $75 for a year. You contact me directly at oppermanreport at gmail.com. 
Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator Ed Opperman. We're here with Jody Marie, fascinating woman, uh, fascinating, uh, full of energy and life. My God. Uh, uh, the website is, um, where are we over here? Come on. Uh, healthyveganrecipe.com. And she does consulting. She'll, she'll consult. She'll walk you all through this. Uh, she teaches classes. Sexy plant-based chefs at Instagram. Uh, she got three classes coming up in December at the Go Vegan Cafe over there on Rainbow uh, about raw food, introductory to raw food. Uh, um, another one about the zero waste. Now, now uh, Jody, a couple other things is you don't watch TV, right? I actually don't have a TV in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only 27-year-old I know um, that that is that way. Um, but I like to spend my time outdoors, reading, educating uh, myself. Um, like I explained a little bit earlier, I still do modeling. Um, I'm a real estate agent here in Las Vegas, and I do that um, pretty full-time. Um, I teach classes. I do meetups. I, there's, there's so much stuff that I, I do. Um, so I really don't have time to watch TV. Plus, I really just believe that they, they just fill you with information that really isn't useful. It really doesn't help. And it's just a bunch of junk, in my opinion. You know, it really is. Just think, you know, it it, it is, I guess, distracting or hypnotizing, whatever it is. Uh, but just think, because mm-hmm. I'm at the, you know, I'm, I'm getting older and older. I'm looking back at my life, you know, and I'm uh, contemplating my uh, mortality <laughs> with every breath. Yeah. <laughs> what do you call it? You, you, you think at the end of your life, you're going to look back and say, how much of my life did I waste watching TV? You know, and putting my, yeah, putting my wife like on pause. An hour and a half on average for a child a day. Oh. I was like, wow, that, I mean, what can that child learn? They can learn a whole new language or, you know, they can make a difference in the world or they can go outside and get some, you know, air or grounding. And there's just so much that can, you know, people can do instead of watching TV. And it's like, people don't live their lives. They'd rather watch somebody else live their lives on TV. Right. If that makes sense. So like reality shows, for example, people get so caught up in these celebrities' lives that they don't even pay attention and create their own life. It's so true. And I think one of the best things I did with, mm-hmm. with raising my daughter was uh, no video games. You know, I I never right. showed her what a video game was. And today mm-hmm. people laugh at me because I don't carry a cell phone. I, I was in the cell phone business. So I had phones in the 80s. Uh, but uh, <laughs> all this texting business and nonsense and smartphones. Uh, what the hell? <laughs> You're missing mm-hmm. out. I agree. I agree. Talk to the person next to you. What do you got to talk to someone 20 miles away or 50 miles away? You, there's people right next to you you can talk to. You meet somebody new. You know, you go to a class, a Jody's class. You know, you always see those videos of people posting pictures and posting on Instagram, like, I'm having such a great time. This is awesome. But in reality, all of the people are on their phones. Nobody's having a good time. Um, So people want to be socially accepted. Instead of actually doing something to, you know, benefit yourself and those around you and making an impact, you know, they're posting stuff that really doesn't have anything to do with anything except to give them that satisfaction that they you know, are happy or that people think that they are happy. So like you said, just go talk to somebody, um, you know, see what's up. Nobody and, and nowadays goes up and say like, hey, do you want to be friends? Like I make friends that way. So I'm like, wow, like I went to a chiropractor appointment and I'm like, I love your outfit. And we started talking and I told her how I do secondhand um thrift stores and I told her my outfit was from a thrift store she's like get out of here and I was like oh my gosh like do you want to be friends like let's go thrift store shopping and she was like I've never had anybody approach me in person to ask to be my friend and I'm like now I came from a you know, small town in Ohio so it's a little bit different but for me to hear that in our generation that you can't just like 
feel comfortable enough to go up to somebody and ask them to be your friend. It's really sad. It really is, you know, and I talk about it all the time. Like when I was a little kid and, you know, I'm talking before I started school, before kindergarten and, you know, I would, my mother would tote me around on her little daily, you know, journeys and you'd go to the butcher mm-hmm. shop, you'd go to the post office and she, t- you talk to everyone, you all your neighbors, you talk to your neighbors and, and you sit there for hours and have conversations with people. Mm-hmm. And the art of conversation is lost, I tell you. Um, it's a really, you watch these old shows like Johnny Carson, stuff like that, and you see him have a conversation interviewing a guest or these old William F. Buckley uh, uh, TV shows. There's nothing like that out there right now. And people just, uh, they got a short attention span. Mm-hmm. Speaking of short attention span, what about, <laughs> I guess you don't add sugar mm-hmm. then. You don't use sugar then. You don't add, what would you be adding sugar to? Probably nothing. Oh, no artificial sugar, just from fruit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you got it made, I'm telling you. Okay, and, and alcohol, a little wine now and then or no? Um, no, it's been about five years. Um, I actually came out to Vegas for my 21st birthday, and that's when I quit drinking. So <laughs> it definitely put a toll on me, and it made me realize that I don't want to feel like that. Um, but, you know, throughout the years, maybe like five glasses of wine here and there, or um, I went back for my friend's wedding, and I had a sip of, I don't even know what it was, and it just like, I always just tell people like, oh, I can't drink. I was like, I get drunk off the smell of booze now because I've just gone so long without it. But for me, if I, I'm living, I'm happy now. I don't need something else to make me feel happy. Um, I can have fun. I go to parties and, you know, not club parties, but I go to hang out and people around me are drinking and I just kindly say no. And, and it gives me an opportunity to um, educate them on why I don't drink because in my generation, I'm 27. Um, it's very odd that I spent most of my twenties not drinking alcohol. And so it gives me a time to actually educate people. And that's what I love about what I do is when people realize that one person who's doing something different, they want to know. Now, not everybody's going to take it and learn from it, but people are curious. You know, when I go to the store, for example, and I have these um, reusable bags. The cashiers are always like, why do you have those bags? And it gives me the opportunity to talk to people about my life. So I love being different. I love that, you know, I can kind of influence people in my generation to kind of stand up because we are the ones that are going to make the difference. You know, we are the ones that need to change now for our children and their children to be able to, you know, make a change in the world. Hey, what about like a water fest? Have you ever done, or even a drive fest? Have you ever done that? Um, I, yes, I do. I love dry fasting. Um, actually it really helps me get into deeper levels of detoxing. Um, my boyfriend, he's a detox specialist, so it's very helpful to have him around and he's an iridologist here in Las Vegas. And so we, um, together just do so much stuff to help the community. And, um, you know, I had my own fair share of health issues over the years that I had before going vegan and, you know, doing detoxing and juicing and meditation and yoga and dry fasting during the moon cycles helps dig a little bit deeper into my um, detox level. So I, I wouldn't recommend it for somebody who's a standard American diet, who eats a standard American diet to like be like, I'm going to dry fast tomorrow because they're not going to feel so hot because they're detoxing. So when I detox, when I quit drinking alcohol, I detox from that. When I quit drinking coffee, I detox from that. When I quit eating sugar, I detox from that. When I quit eating salt, I detox from that. So a lot of the times, you know, people are like, well, if I do a dry fast then everything I've eaten is just, it's gone, but it takes, it takes time to, you know, heal your body and to, to heal those around you because it didn't take two days to get in the position you're in. If it took years to get there, you can't expect it to be gone in two weeks. That's like with weight loss. People just want to take a diet pill or they want to snap their fingers and lose weight, but it took years of building on that weight 
And if you look at what people are eating, you know, that's why vegan doesn't necessarily mean healthy because there are some vegans that are overweight because they eat the same processed food. Um, they don't eat, you know, raw foods or whole foods and they eat fats like there's no tomorrow. And I'm, I was very guilty of that. I'd be like, oh, I'm somewhat thin. I can eat five avocados in one sitting and an entire pan of brownies and a whole large vegan pizza to myself. And ultimately that's not how we are supposed to be eating. You know, we pizza and all of this stuff, it's just all created. And when you go back to like the whole food, that's really where the nutrition's at because when you cook food, you're literally killing the enzymes in the food. So you're eating dead foods. So it just goes on a whole different level of, um, you know, what people expect. I have people who talk to me and they expect to lose 50 pounds in two weeks. And I'm like, okay, you might lose 15 pounds in two weeks because I've seen people do that going vegan. But people just were in such a fast paced environment. And you can agree with me on this with cell phones and technology and social media. We're in such a fast paced environment that people don't want to take the time to care for themselves. I had a friend tell me, oh, in 20 years from now, they'll have a procedure that can replace my stomach so I can have a brand new one. And for me, I had surgery in my past. And like for anybody who would want to go through that and put their one temple through that is a little bit troublesome for me. You know, it's like, why not? prevent something before it happens. You always hear people, well, when I get cancer, I'll worry about it then. Well, I can tell from firsthand experience that when you're weak and feeble, detoxing is going to be very difficult. Now is the time to do it. When you have the energy, you have the motivation and, and there's support systems everywhere. There's Facebook groups, there's meetup groups. You just have to get out there and talk to people. And like you said, you'll just hanging around, you know, in groups and classes like that, you'll find more people that are trying to be waste-free. You'll find more people that are vegan. And all of a sudden you're like, literally everybody I bump into is vegan. And you're like, this is so odd. Like, why is this happening? But, you know, you just manifest that into your life. You, you mentioned your boyfriend's an iridologist. What is that? Yes. So he does eye readings. So um, I don't know if, you know, okay, let's eyeball? Way, for example. Like an eyeball in your head? Only two eye colors. Okay. There's blue eyes and there's brown eyes. So green eyes are a mix of that. Um, so he reads the eyes and each little pattern, it's kind of hard to look in a mirror because you don't see in depth like you would with a macro camera. But some of these eyes, including myself and his eye pictures, it shows health issues that um, I've had in the past that were passed on. Like if he were to look at a family line of eyes, he can tell what's passed on from generation to generation and he can help um, with herbs and a detox plan to help revitalize those people and, and get them to take their lives back. So it's really amazing. Um, he studied under Dr. Robert Morse. He's an amazing doctor, an amazing scientist, and um, all of this stuff is online. You can look it up, and um, he really just just has a gift of healing people to help them heal themselves, should I say. He doesn't heal people. He helps the people heal their bodies because bodies are amazing. They really put up with a lot between stress and environmental toxins and the food they eat and technology and radiation. Our bodies put up with so much, um, but he helps them learn that, you know, the steps to take back their life. Um, people who, you know, are bedridden or really sick or have to have surgery and, um, you know, he helps them get their life back. So it's really amazing to have a partner that it's, you know, aligned with what I do. And, um, and he's vegan as well. So, um, 
it just kind of works out great that we, we connected and to, to share just a little bit about how we met. I actually met him on my healing journey before I went um, on more of a raw plant-based and I say plant-based because plant-based is for your health and vegan is for the animals, for any viewers that get confused on that. And um, so I went more plant-based and I started doing Qigong, which is a form of meditation. And he's a Qigong instructor. Um, and he wasn't my instructor, but I was there for World Tai Chi Day. And I heard him mention that he was vegan. And I was single for like five years because I'm just like, I need somebody who, you know, has the same morals as I do. And that's really important to me. And I met him and... We went on a date two days later and we've been together since then. So it really is just a really awesome experience to have a partner um, that, you know, is on the same level as you. What about marijuana? That's tricky. It comes, um, I would say that it does have a toll on your body, not as bad as pharmaceuticals, for example. Like if somebody's taking a seizure medication and um, CBD oil or marijuana oil helps, that's way better than the pharmaceuticals, but ultimately that's still suppressing the problem. It's still masking the symptoms. You know, if you're in pain and you smoke, you know, or you take a capsule or however you do it and your pain is gone, the problem is still there. So I, I don't believe that it is a solution to the problem because it's just masking it like, like pain pills or alcohol it masks a problem. It doesn't, help solve the problem. So ultimately, you know, going on a raw foods, mostly fruit lifestyle can help to the point where you won't even need to have or take marijuana. But if you're comparing it between that and pharmaceuticals, then that wins by far. But um, especially smoking it, it still, you know, has an impact on your lungs, still has chemicals in it. Um, you know, people still have a smoker's cough. Oh, yeah. So it still has some problems to it. But when we're comparing it to, you know, pharmaceuticals and something artificial, you know, yes, it is grown. Um, Mother Earth does grow it. It's not grown in a lab. When you look at it that way, it doesn't seem as bad. But if you're looking for an ultimate healing journey, um, you know, having that removed from your lifestyle, definitely um, you can no you notice a difference. But you also detox from that as well. If you, you know, were a big marijuana user, and you're trying to detox from it, you're going to have the same symptoms like if you give up coffee because, it, you know, there's studies out there that marijuana is not addicting, but the feeling of it's addicting, the feeling good, the not feeling stressed, the not feeling pain, that's the part of it that's addicting. But if you can correct that problem from the beginning, you, you know, then you really wouldn't need it. So it's kind of one of those things that, you know, if that gets you off the pharmaceutical med meds, then you know, kudos to you, but push a little further in the education and, and try to, you know, educate yourself on really what's still doing to your body and if you want to push it to the ultimate healing level or not. So, but uh, recreation, recreationally, you wouldn't uh, put it, cook it in food. You wouldn't uh, eat it? You don't have to yeah, smoke it then. There's, yeah. there's, really, there's really no need. It, it would just be a, a stimulant, just like alcohol. Okay. And, and you're right. And just because it comes from the earth, you know, so does poison ivy. It doesn't mean you want to put it in your body. Mm -hmm. You don't want to start chewing exactly. on that. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I was a big pot smoker as a kid, you know, back before it became all fashionable, like everyone does today. In fact, they're going to put me in prison for 15 years for marijuana. Okay. You know, back in the old days. <laughs> and here you can walk right into a, yeah. a store like it's a, like it's a liquor store and be like, yeah, here we go. Here's my ID and walk out 15 minutes later. But you never would have imagined that, huh? Oh, no, no, definitely not. You walked in and they didn't let you walk back out. Back in but the thing is, too, is yeah. that, you know, 
you know, you had all that phlegm and your throat coughing up all that phlegm and the paranoia. I, said, mm-hmm. I, I don't endorse marijuana at all. Let, let me ask you a quick question because uh, I know we said we were going to do one hour. Do you have like another half hour to give me a, could we go I, further? I do, yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Um, and I was asking about marijuana. I have so many questions as you're talking, but I don't take as much notes. I'm really caught up in what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, let me think. Uh, well, I guess, okay, I guess we should start getting into the um, the zero waste because that's where we, we yeah. met. We went to the zero waste thing and I had no idea really what, I can't, I, my daughter was telling me a little bit about it and then uh, Sedona invited me over there and she's really passionate about the zero waste. Oh, she's amazing. <laughs> I love her passion. I know. On the way home, she's telling me how, because uh, uh, she was fi- fighting with her manager because <laughs> the manager wasn't ordering the uh, uh-huh. uh, the paper bags, you know. So, of course, and I said, well, how long would you keep the job? She said, seven months. Well, no kidding. Yeah. You know, but she did. She's See, really and intense. I walked up to her and I was like, hey, do you want to be my friend? I love your passion. I love, you know, and it's like that type of connection because when you surround yourself around, you know, I didn't know that was your daughter. So that's awesome. No, that no, that's not my daughter. No, no. No, that, that oh. wasn't my daughter. No, I've known Sedona for years. Uh, but my daughter is a oh, little okay. younger. She's 17. And uh, w- and she's oh, into okay. this kind of stuff, too. I'm going to bring my daughter next time, though, uh, to one of your events. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be awesome. But now, okay, we learned about this, uh, your, your zero waste. And uh, I was telling you about how uh, I go into this coffee place. Because now I, I quit coffee, like I said, for like uh, six months. Uh, but now I try mm-hmm. and just only have coffee when I go out. Just only have, I'll buy one cup of coffee. Right. And I don't, I don't have a mm-hmm. coffee pot. And I started noticing that every day I go in there, I get a cup of coffee. They put a plastic lid on the coffee, you know? Mm-hmm. So I came up with the idea. I said, well, this is 300 lids going into the, 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 the they don't recycle those lids, right? They, they don't right. recycle, right. Goes into a landfill. They blow in the wind and end up who knows where. <laughs> right. It goes into the ocean, goes into a landfill. So I said, you know, mm-hmm. let me go in there. And so I go to this place, the Madhouse Coffee Shop on Eastern. It's a very, very nice place. And I said, hey, you know, how? And you sell me a, 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 what do you call it, a reusable travel mug. And, and they don't sell them. So now I figure, okay, fine. If, uh, if I buy a mug for myself, I'm saving 300 lids. But if I talk them into selling mugs, that could be 10 other guys who buy these mugs. That's 3,000 lids. Exactly. Right. Oh, it's amazing. Right. What are some of the other things? Little, cause now too, when I, when I go to the store, I don't, I don't use the, uh, the shopping bags. It's not just plastic bags as much as I used right. to. Right. Yeah. What are some of the other things well, we could be doing? Let's go over like the five R's. I always say, you know, people are familiar with, um, you know, reduce, reuse, and recycle. That's what everybody hears, reduce, reuse, recycle. But there's actually more than that. And it starts with refuse. So if companies aren't going to take it in their initiative to eliminate plastic, you as the customer have to be held responsible to make better choices, to refuse single-use plastic. So for example, Go Vegan Cafe, um, they have made amazing changes and I love it there. So usually they would bring their glass of water and put a straw down. And I would always say, no straw, no straw, no straw. And it got to the point where they knew I didn't want a straw, so they would just bring me the glass. Well, you know, slowly I was watching them and they now give water without the straw and wait for somebody to ask for it. And even if half of the people don't ask for a straw, that's a tremendous, that's just one restaurant in one little city in in the world, you know, who's making a difference. And so refusing from the beginning and, and I get it, it's not easy. It sucks sometimes having to, you know, look weird and make these choices, but you either want to do it or you don't want to do it. And so refusing as best as possible. Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm not 100% zero waste. Anybody who claims they are 
it's not true. You can't be perfect when it comes to zero waste in today's society. You know, yes, if you live off the grid and you have your own, you know, water and your own power and that, yes, you can live zero waste. But in today's society, in cities and suburbs, you know, all these areas, you can't be 100% zero waste because even if you buy in bulk, you know, I consider when I buy in bulk, they're still being shipped in plastic, but not as much plastic. So refusing is the first thing I would recommend is, is just being aware, um, going to the grocery store. If you forget your bag, I haven't put it back in the car and I put it all in my car because I put the blame on myself. Not, oh, well, they have plastic bags. That's not fair. It's, I forgot my bag. Now I have to carry all of my produce and stuff in and out of my car. And I talked about that in the class and it really kind of piqued some interest. And, um, now some of my friends do it and eventually you'll, you'll stop forgetting your bag because you don't want to be carrying in all your groceries, but it's easy to just give in and be like, okay, well this time I'll get bags. And then five plastic bags later, you know, I would feel like that, that's how I started doing it. Cause I'd feel that sense of guilt. Like, okay, well I should have been responsible. I should have made this choice. And if I forgot the bag, I should have just carried the stuff you know, without the bag. So there's, there's different things as far as like that goes, but refusing really is, is key to, um, you know, what, what's going on and then reducing, um, reducing junk mail, call the people, tell them, I don't want junk mail anymore. Return the sender, call, call, call again until you stop getting as much junk mail. Because like I said, it's just even one person eliminated their junk mail for the year. I mean, just one person in one little city in this whole world will make a difference. Um, reusing, I love reusing products. Um, glass jars, for example, um, I reuse them for everything. Um, I know some of my friends use it for arts. They're art students. They use it for art supplies. Um, so reusing what you can. Uh, repurpose, you know, composting, reusing old clothes as grocery bags. Um, secondhand stores are my favorite. I don't buy new clothes because... Um, there's just a whole ethical, you know, that would be a whole other conversation on, you know, the way clothes are made nowadays. And um, so secondhand shops, you know, you can get, you know, I get an entire outfit for five bucks. And then, you know what, if it, if it falls, breaks down in two years or whatever, I spent $5 on it and it would have just ended up in a landfill. So there's just different things. Um, and then the last option is recycling because only 23 to 30% of anything that gets sent to recycling centers actually gets recycled. Then it just ends up back in the landfill. Um, so for example, um, like 50, um, 50 billion water bottles get used every year, right? Only 23% of those, um, I'm just doing the math in my head, so like 38 of them, billion, just get thrown into landfills. So yeah, recycling does something, but if you refuse from the beginning or you reuse it and repurpose it, you shouldn't get to that point. So people like to put um, responsibility on somebody else. Well, I put in a recycling bin. That's not my fault it didn't get recycled. But we have to use our voice for what we believe in. And if you don't stand up for that, the problem is going to continue. Um, so I'm setting up a tour of the recycling plant here in Las Vegas because if people can see the process and see the rules, like, for example, if you don't dump out your water bottles, those don't get recycled because they're based on weight. So how many times, I mean, I'm guilty of that. I used to be like, oh, it's just going to get recycled. The water will I don't know what I thought would happen, to be honest. And now that I know that, I think back like, oh, my gosh, like how many water bottles then ended up in the landfill because I was too lazy to dump out the water. But it's not that I was too lazy. It's that I just didn't know. Nobody posts these facts of rules of recycling, but nobody takes initiative to 
Google it and research it and call and see what type right, of that, rules they have for recycling. That's because you're saying that uh, if you throw your plastic, even if you have a plastic water bottle and you throw it in that mm-hmm. bin special for plastic bottles, if there's a little mm-hmm. bit of water in there, it it the, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't the weight picks up through. right and, and it passes through. Right. So we got to take a commercial mm-hmm. break. Okay, this is a good time to take a break. And I got a million questions written down this time. Okay, we have that. All right. All these things. Yeah. We're with Jody Marie. Fascinating stuff and really a, a great conversationalist there. Uh, HealthyVeganRecipe.com is her website, and she'll consult with this. She'll advise you on being a vegan. Uh, there's also, she's a great photographer, too. Got a lot of great pictures on it, too. And uh, a Sexy Plant-Based Chef is her Instagram page. Uh, so we'll be right back with more of Jody Marie after these messages. And now a word from our sponsors. Don't forget, this show is brought to you by PSCoco.com. Phoebe Saad is an independent curator with the Cocoa Exchange. The Cocoa Exchange is formerly known as Dove Chocolate Discoveries, and they make the finest silky smooth chocolate because the products start with the best cocoa beans, which are tested for quality and flavor by expert technicians. The Cocoa Exchange offers not just premium chocolates, but anything from sauces and spices to brownie and cake mixes and even coffee and martini mixes. If you wish to treat yourself or someone you love to a sweet and tasty gift, then the Cocoa Exchange is the brand for you. So you go to pscoco.com, you click on the Shop Now button, you can see all their beautiful chocolates, you can order it right now tonight, it could be in your mailbox in a couple of days, or if you want to get into the chocolate business, you want to be a, a chocolatier just like Phoebe Saad, click the Contact Us button, and you can learn how to get your own website, go into the Cocoa Chocolate Business, and sell chocolate and make a little bit of money there. You can have your ad played here at oppermanreport.com. Every Friday night, 5 p.m. and Saturday night, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And on Friday nights, too, we do a live portion for one hour that I just do a live monologue. The ads are very, very inexpensive, and they're also played in the Opperman Report member section. In the member section, you can find all kinds of exclusive content that you won't find anywhere else. It's as cheap as $6 a month, $20 a quarter, or $75 for a year. If you contact me directly at oppermanreport at gmail.com, I'll set you up with a little special deal there where you get a discount if you PayPal me directly and even get a copy of my book. I want to thank Sean Duff from strawman.com. He runs the website. He runs the, uh, the, the, the member section. And I also want to thank William Ramsey, who helps us to produce the show and book guests. You can find Sean Duff at strawmanmusic.com. He's an excellent musician. You can find William Ramsey, who's an excellent author, at William Ramsey Investigates on YouTube. I want to welcome a newest sponsor, SubashTechnosis.com. Subash Technosis is a search engine optimization and website design company. They're located in India, so you know you're going to save a lot of money and get top quality service. They offer all sorts of business process outsourcing, data entry, banking BPO services, recruitment process outsourcing, software testing, offshoring research network, customer care, press release, content writing and distribution, and much, much more. Now, you can get a hold of Subash Technosis by email at info at SubashTechnosis.com. Their website is www.SubashTechnosis.com. And their Skype is A-N-U-S-H-A-S-U-B-A-S-H. Remember, all these shows on Awake are brought to you by EmailRevealer.com. You can go to EmailRevealer.com and get a copy of my book, How to Become a Successful Private Investigator. 
But you also do all kinds of different services for you. An online dating service investigation is called an online infidelity investigation. And that's where you give us your husband or your boyfriend, your girlfriend's email address, and we trace it back to their online dating websites. And we return a list of all the dating sites that that email is registered to. We can expand on that investigation and trace it back to porn sites, escort service sites, swinger sites, gambling websites, and even prescription drug websites. If you think your ex-husband or something is addicted to prescription medication or involved in an extreme online pornography addiction, we can produce a report for you that you can use in court. Adoption investigations. If you want to locate your birth parents or your birth child you gave away for adoption, we can do adoption investigations for you. Asset searches for you. Locate bank accounts, hidden assets, hidden properties, hidden income, all different kinds of services in the asset search investigation. Email tracing, if you need to locate or identify somebody from just an email address, that's emailrevealer.com, or you can contact me at oppermaninvestigations at gmail.com. It's the Opperman Report. Join digital forensic investigator and PI Ed Opperman for an in-depth discussion of conspiracy theories, strategy of new world order resistance, high-profile court cases in the news, and interviews with expert guests and authors on these topics and more. It's the Opperman Report. And now, here is investigator Ed Opperman. Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator Ed Opperman, and we're here with Jody Marie, uh, and we're talking about her mission to go vegan, reduce waste, and support locals. Uh, first of all, why do we have to worry about straws? Why it's just a little tiny straw, right? And, and if I put that in the in the plastic bin, isn't that going to get recycled? So the one thing about small, like small plastic items like that is generally they get blown away in the wind, they get lost. And um, I know that like more interstate don't really have that much effect on the oceans, but eventually it gets traveled out there and animals, birds, um, especially ocean animals, the fish, sea turtles, they correlate that plastic with something that they can eat. Because if you look at that plastic in water versus a fish in water, they have a very similar look to it. And so it's really detrimental to the health of the animals. But if you think about it, um, let's say, I don't know, you use three, 400 straws in a year um, and you multiply that by how many people there are, we, we have an abundance of straws. Like even something so small can have such an impact on the planet. And it's 100% unnecessary. There is, there's no, just drink from the glass. There's no need. And there's bamboo straws, stainless steel straws, or my favorite, which are glass straws. And I throw a stainless steel straw in my bag. And if I feel like, you know, I'm at a photo shoot and I don't want to mess up my, my lipstick, I have my stainless steel straw. So straws for me and plastic bags are one of those things that are just not necessary. You know, sometimes you have to buy something and it and it might be necessary and it comes in plastic. And sometimes you just have to do that. But straws, that comes down to the refuse. Straws are something that should be refused each and every time because they're not necessary to consume a product. You can drink from the glass or, um, you know, bring your own straw. So if you think of it on a large scale of how many people use straws without even thinking of the impact, which is majority of the population, and then you times that by the whole planet, everybody in this world, it really, really adds up over time. Yeah, when when I was a kid, a little kid, it was like a, a, a treat to drink out of a straw. They first of all had paper straws. Yeah. Straws are made out of paper and it would get flat, you know, but it was like a treat when you went out and you got an egg cream 
You know, you got a straw. But otherwise, we didn't have straws. <laughs> yeah, it starts with fast foods. You started getting to the fast food stuff. Uh, then you had straws. Mm-hmm. This was who needs that? Uh, now, what about you mentioned the reusable bags when you go to the supermarket? Now, how does that work? Because yeah. I, I do the self checkout, which I really shouldn't because it puts people out of work and people lose jobs. Uh, but I do the self checkout because it's quicker and I don't like people looking mm-hmm. what I'm buying. Uh, but how do I do that? How, do you have to weigh the bag first? How does that work? Okay, so um, as far as the, are you talking about the bag that you put your groceries in to carry out to the car, or like produce bags where you have the produce? I'm, and- I'm talking about the uh, the, cab, the bag. If I were to buy a reusable bag to, to put my purchases in to carry out to the car. Yeah, so usually here in Las Vegas, I know you get anywhere from five to ten cents depending on the store. Um, I know Whole Foods and Sprouts are the only ones I know that actually do that. Um, so, like if you shop at Albertson or Smith, but they don't give you a bag discount. Um, but if you did want that discount, you can always just—I mean, you probably wouldn't want to because of the time—but you can push that little button, and they can give you your five cents back. Um, but for me, I—I I tend not to care about the five cent return because I know I'm still making a better impact on our planet. Um, but when it comes to bags that you use for produce or jars that you might use for bulk items, Whole Foods here in Vegas—I'm um, sure all Whole Foods actually will do it for you, but they are the ones that will weigh it and you get a weight on it and then they subtract that. So when you go to the cashier, sometimes you still have to say like, Hey, I need you to subtract this weight. And sometimes you have to call a manager, but then it brings awareness because the people behind me are frustrated, right? Because it's taking a little bit longer. And then I turn around and I'm saying, I'm sorry for the weight, but if this didn't happen, I would be contributing to the pollution of our planet. And so it, comes back to having that conversation piece and you know it comes along with you don't want to be in that fast-paced environment you want to you know take the time to educate people on it and and they'll ask questions and some might not be happy about it but then you just go on with your day and um, so if you do a self-checkout and um, if you don't care about the five to ten cent difference of the bags you can just go ahead with your daily routine and put them in your bags um, and then go from there so if that answers your question now, what about, uh, you mentioned before composting, right? But if we live here, like, yes. you know, I live in Henderson, which is like, it's still a city, you know, but uh, what would I do yes. with the compost? Well, I don't have a garden or anything like that. Um, yeah, I have, so I have a compost bin. I, I live in Summerlin and people who live in apartments can also have compost bins in their, um, under their sink. You can, they have little tiny compost bins. You can contact local gardens. There's several school gardens that are always in need of compost. Um, but what's cool about it is, is that you can even put it in the Las Vegas Gardeners page. It's a Facebook group on there. You know, I can say um, free compost and people come and actually come and get it. Now, for me, I grow, I have house plants and some um, like a goji bush. And, you know, those always need to be repotted. So I just use my own compost for my own stuff. Um, here in Las Vegas, it does take a little bit longer to compost because it is such a dry state versus my hometown in Ohio. You can throw something and it'll compost in a, in a couple of days if it rains. Um, but, you know, just reach out to your local gardeners on Facebook, social media, put a post. You'd be surprised, um, you know, who would want something like that? Um, schools, gardens, um, sanctuaries need it. They can feed it to um, or put it in with their life their livestock so they have a healthier soil um livestock as in rescue not to eat just to clarify <laughs> and then um yeah and if you if you're not going to compost it's going along the lines of just trying to reduce your waste um like for example orange peels you can put them in the freezer with some water and an ice cube tray and use those to clean your garbage disposal you just throw it down put some water in there and and it makes an all like an all-natural 
repurpose um, garbage disposal cleaner. So it's just about getting creative with, you know, what you're doing. Um, and not everybody can do that. So it's just doing the very best you can. At least it does get composted and it does, it's biodegradable. So at least you can have that peace of mind that, you know, it's not going to forever be on this planet like plastic will. Um, so that's one of those hard things that if, you know, you don't have a lot of land or, you know, you maybe aren't home all the time or you travel, um, composting might not be something for you. Um, but it's just being aware of the types of waste that you are producing and, and what you can do with them. Like I said, with the lemon peels, for example, and just reusing them. And then that just goes into the water system and it gets filtered. And, you know, people are always like, well, isn't that bad for the water system? And my thought process is people put prescription pills down the toilet. My lemon peels are probably going to be beneficial <laughs> compared to, you know, half the stuff that gets put down our, our water system. Yeah, it really is scary when you think about, you know, people changing their oil and stuff like that and they let it go down those storm drains. And, and that's where all those straws mm -hmm. wind up, too. You throw it down the street, they wind up in the storm drains and then it winds up in Lake Mead where, where we drink our water from, you know. It's, uh, it's, yep. and, and I know. Now, what about, um, you mentioned, um, before you were talking about stuff like buying pomegranates. I've never seen pomegranates for sale. Where do you go shopping for food and stuff? Um, farmer's market. It's actually pomegranate season right now, and they're actually grown here locally in Las Vegas, and you cannot get better than locally grown produce. And to um, clear up any myths of farmer's market being more expensive, yes, some items are. But for example, I get organic pomegranates grown here in Las Vegas for $1 ah. at the farmer's market. Where in the store you get conventional two for five, um, and so there's there's you know all these things the farmers markets people don't go to them because they assume that they are more expensive. But when you realize the the quality of the produce that you're getting, you get fulfilled easier, you get more satisfied because you're getting more nutrients. So for example, those pomegranates were picked that morning for me to buy on Saturday morning. Where if they were in the store, they're picked week or two before they're ripe. So you're you're missing out on you know essential nutrients that way. So and and of course you're just supporting your locals. It's easier because they don't um, usually come in plastic. They don't have all those annoying. Especially when you buy organic, you have the sticker and then you have the organic sticker on every single piece of produce you buy in a grocery store. Well, when you go to the farmers market, you bring your own bag. I have a crate and I get seventy pounds of oranges. Can you imagine how much plastic I would have used if I went to the store and got 70 pounds of oranges in those plastic bags? So not only is it better nutrition, better nutrition for you, it's better for the environment and you're supporting locals. You're supporting farmers um, who, you know, work hard to give you this food versus a corporation who really, you know, could care less. And, and farm, the farmer's market, they donate to food, not bombs. So when they have leftover food, they actually donate it. Whereas, you know, we talked about in the class, uh, supermarkets, they throw out fresh, brand new produce because they need to push products. So um, just shopping local really just, it just changes the pace. It, it's better tasting food. It's saving the environment. It's saving the planet. And generally, it's healthier for you. I mean, yes, you go to the farmer's market and they have their cakes and their cookies, but they're, but they're homemade. So when you look at the quality of what you're getting versus the price you're paying, it pays for itself. Also, too, when, when you put money in your neighbor's pocket, you know, then, then when he wants to hire someone, a real estate agent, like I was just saying the other night, or a private investigator, then, then he's going to hire me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, rather than you give it all your money to, exactly it. Yeah, to the six mm -hmm. Walton family members, you, you know, <laughs> forget <Yeah>. it. <laughs> We're never going to see that money back. And, you, and you've heard the terms, you know, you have to give to get. Right. 
So if you don't give to the farmer's markets, if you don't believe in them, you know, you get stuff back where you're like, wow, this is so nice. Like, for example, when I go to Sprouts and I use my bag, I get five cents back, right? Cool, five cents. Well, when I go to the farmer's market and I bring my bag, they give me three extra oranges because I have no plastic. That's probably like a dollar worth and, and it's in produce. So they, they really do appreciate you in, at the farmer's market and you got to get to know them. Like I have no lie, all the farmer's market here in Vegas, I have all the farmer's phone numbers in my phone. So for example, um, the one at Tivoli Village, she texted me the day after Thanksgiving and said, hey, we weren't planning to be there Saturday, but I wanted to let you know we will be. And of course I was sad because I wanted them to spend time with their family, but I was happy because then, you know, I didn't have to wait until next Saturday to get my produce. And the fact that she knows I'm a supporter and she knows that I'll be there, she went out of her way to text me to let me know that they will be there. So you have to, you know, not only just go there and shop, but get to know them get to know their growing process, um, see why they do what they do. And um, it's always funny because I have uh, one of the farmers tell me that that's how they get their B12 is they just eat fresh locally grown produce because B12 blankets the earth. It's on everything, not in animal products. They get it from eating grass and leaves and plants. And so you learn stuff like that. And it it really is just, there's some fascinating people, those farmers, I got to tell you. Uh, okay, but uh, you don't have any problem shopping at at Whole Foods. Uh, you know, now it's owned by Amazon. You know, it's a you know, right. Yes, you know, um, you know, the least amount is better in winter time. You know, yeah. pomegranates, persimmons, apples are really the only thing in season. Um, so I will shop. I'd rather shop at Sprouts than Whole Foods. Um, but I'm not totally against it. But if you go to, the, I go to the farmers market first and get everything I need. And ninety percent of the time, I don't have to go anywhere else to get. You know produce because I do eat that whole foods and raw foods, which you can get plenty of at the farmer's market. So in the summertime, I rarely ever go to a grocery store because it's bountiful of fresh fruits and vegetables. And, you know, wintertime, for example, they're off for three months or three weeks for the holidays. So I have to go to Spouts and, um, you know, I'd rather not go to Whole Foods because it is a bigger corporation. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's comes down to, you know, nobody's perfect. And the whole goal is to do the very best you can do in any given moment. So if I don't have access to farmer's markets, you know, I either have to drive four hours to California to get produce, which, or I can go to Sprouts. So it's just coming, one of those things where you just kind of have to, you know, do the very best that you can in any situation. And, you know, not everybody can do it in their moment right now. And that's okay. And just being aware of what's going on is really what's important. And, and here in Vegas, how many farmers markets are there? I know we have a couple here in Henderson. There's, oh, there's one. one every day of the week. Really? And can you give some locations? Yep, we have, to? Um, yes. Uh, let's see here. Uh, my favorite is Saturdays at Tivoli Village from 9 to 2. They also have one downtown Summerlin um, 9 to 2 on Saturday as well. Two different farmers. Um, Wednesdays from 4 to 8 at Bruce Trent Park. Um, Thursdays from 4 to 8 at Gardens Park. They have, I'm not sure of the time on Friday because I'm never able to go, but they have one down on Fremont Street. I believe it's from like 9 to 1. Um, and then they have three different ones on Sundays in Henderson. Um, I'm not too sure of that area because I don't tend to go there often. Um, but, but if you Google Farmer's Market, Las Vegas, there's one almost every day, I think, except for Monday and Tuesday of the week. And they have plenty full of, you know, produce to to eat so definitely worth trying out and the best part about farmers markets is you get to sample the produce before you eat it you don't get to do that in grocery stores 
So if you want to know how ripe their melons are or what their melons taste like, you ask them and they'll cut you a piece. And that's the joy of it is you get to try the produce. So if you've never tried a persimmon and you don't want to buy one at the store because you're afraid you're not going to like it, go to the farmer's market. They'll cut you off a piece and let you try it. You know, so that's another cool thing about farmer's markets is you get to try the produce before you buy it. Yeah, over here in Henderson, they have one, I think it's Thursdays over, well, they went downtown Henderson on Water Street. They have one every week on Fridays. Uh, but then I think on Thursday, it's down there at uh, on Green Valley Parkway, which I could walk through from here, uh, by the, the, the rec yeah. center, the big aquatic center, the multi-generation center in the library over there, mm-hmm. right on, on Green Valley Parkway. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, we got about 10 minutes left. Uh, mm-hmm. what's, uh, what's on your mind you, you really want to tell us about? You know, like I said, it's just, it's just not about being perfect because nobody's perfect. And um, just realizing that you're not alone doing this. There's people out there who are in the same step as you. There's people out there who are struggling to, you know, get their lives back together. And you just have to be patient with people. I always say like, I've been the angry vegan. I've been the nice vegan. And I must say that being compassionate towards people and realizing you don't know what they're doing in their life. You don't know their lifestyle. You don't know their money situation. You don't know their past life. So to put judgment on somebody because they use plastic straws or they just can't fathom getting rid of something, it's, it's, it's hard to not judge them. But at the same time, you have, no, you have no idea what those people have been through in their life to be where they are in their situation. So just coming at and approaching all of these with compassion, um, veganism, being compassionate, you know, taking all those, well, where do you get your protein? Well, what about your B12? What about iron? Um, I heard this, I heard that. And, and just giving them facts, factual information that they can go to and look for. And same thing with zero waste is um, in my class, you saw, I brought my home products. Like literally I had my, my own safety razor there to show people because you know, if you say, well, just switch everything in your household to zero waste, that doesn't mean anything to somebody who doesn't know anything, you know, but to actually show them and tell them where they can buy the product. And, you know, this is, this is how it can benefit you. And people always tell you what to do, like buy this, buy this, buy that, but they don't tell you why you should buy it, why it's better for you, why it's better for the environment. And if people knew that, they would make a difference. It, you know, it would make a difference in their life because if they knew the back end of how clothes were made or how iPhones were made or, you know, they would have a better understanding of what's going on. Um, but, you know, um, meditation, being mindful of what you're doing, that's my newest practice and I'm, I'm not perfect at it at all. But when you can be mindful of others and your situation and um, it just really changes the vibe of your surroundings. So for example, there's certain people that I vibe with more because they're passionate about what they believe and they have that passion. They have that fire in their eye. They have that excitement and I love, and I feed off of that energy. And then, you know, you have the Debbie Downers who, you know, well, you're lucky for that, or there's no way I'd be able to do that. Or I I don't have enough money to do that. And it's, it's, it's along the lines of making excuses. And again, I'm guilty of it too, is you have to, when you say something, you have to say, is that an excuse? Am I making an excuse or is that a valid reason to why I can't do something like, you know, going vegan? Well, what about protein? Well, if you've never tried it before, you can't talk bad about it. You know, well, I heard from so-and-so and so-and-so, 
well, that's not valid information. You need to do your own research, your own due diligence and figure it out for, you know, yourself. You can use guidance and help and resources like my website, but unless you actually do the research yourself, you know, you're not going to stick with it. Like for example, if, um, somebody else bought me a class or something for my birthday, I'd feel, you know, oh, okay, well, it wasn't my money. But if I spent my money on it, I would definitely do it, if that makes sense. Because I spent my money, I spent my time, you know, figuring it out where I'm like, oh, well, that's somebody else's information. That's somebody else's money. Um, So just being aware about, you know, life and get off your cell phone, stop watching TV, stop watching reality shows, because ultimately, you're just, you know, tying yourself down from the possibilities that, you know, you have, each and every one of us has amazing gifts, not just one, but multiple gifts. And people are too busy in this artificial life of, you know, celebrities and keeping up with the Joneses and having the best stuff that they're not working on their life. They're not working on their health and, you know, they're not influencing the other, you know, people in their life. And it's really about just being an influencer, um, you know, doing what you do being passionate about it and being real about it is it's going to get you places because I mean, you, you were there in my class. I tell it straight as it is. I'm like, I'm going to be real about it. Like it sucks. It's scary. It's sad. It's disturbing. You know, I actually had somebody in my class cry, like break down and cry because she couldn't believe that she was partaking in the destruction of our planet. And, you know, she was vegan and she didn't know or even consider anything about you know, reducing plastic because we're taught it gets recycled. And, um, and then we leave it at that. We don't do our own due diligence to research it. So it's just, you know, being aware and, and communicating with those around you and surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded because, you know, you are who you hang around with. So if you hang around with people who are like, well, that's a joke. There's no such thing as, you know, plastic biodegrades in two weeks or whatever. And if you just are with somebody who just talks nonsense all the time, you're going to start talking nonsense. So you need to surround yourself with people that you ultimately want to become. And that's kind of, you know, just what I did is I just surrounded myself around people who are willing to learn, who, you know, want to take a chance and try for themselves to see the benefits that it has. And every person that has come back to me and was like, wow, you know, like, thank you so much for that. Because now when I'm at a grocery store and I forget my bag, I sit there laughing, thinking about how you had to carry all of your stuff, you know, to your car. And here they are making, you know, laughing about it because, it, you know, it should be a fun journey. You should have fun with it. it you don't want it to be dreadful, but it, it is hard. Anything that you're not used to is going to be difficult, but that's okay. It's, it's okay to be uncomfortable, right? Because that means you're learning. So people say veganism is too hard. Well, you know, when you were a baby and you first tried to walk, how many times did you fall before you were able to walk again? Right? So it's the same concept with everything that I believe in, you know, just realizing that you can't be perfect. And like, for example, I just found out last year that matches aren't vegan. So I had a tunnel vision of how many times I've used matches in my past life, you know, to light candles and all of this. And then to find out now that they're not, that they're not vegan you know, and so it's like going along the lines is we're, we're never going to be perfect, but we can be the best versions of ourselves every day. And and how can people uh, find you beside the website, like on Facebook and stuff like that? How can people find you? 
Um, if you search Jody Marie Las Vegas, um, I have even more Instagrams than what I told you and Facebook, but okay. on healthyveganrecipe.com has all of my links to contact me. Um, I have a model Instagram. I have my personal Instagram. Um, but Healthy Vegan Recipe is my one-stop shop. It goes all the way from my mission to, you know, my own story, my events calendar, contact me. Um, they can um, message me and I'll add them on Facebook, connect with me on social media. I'm always open for new friends and somebody that, you know, wants to change their life a little bit. So, you know, Jody Marie, Las Vegas, I, I should pop up with my social medias and, you know, feel free to reach out. It, say hi to me and, uh, you know, and let me know what you, you know, you want and how you want to change. And I'll definitely like motivate you to, you know, do Look, that. The way, you know, you do great advertising because if you want to have a pleasant life, you don't know, be a pleasant person full of energy, you know, positive energy, you know, follow this recipe by Jody Marie. There, there you are. You're 90% there, you know. So thank you so much. And, and listen, anything you ever want to promote, get a hold of me and we'll put you right on the air, okay? All right. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. No, thank you. This was great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And I loved your class. I'm going to be at the next one for sure. Uh, I'll see you soon. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Good night. All right. Okay, there we had Jody Marie. Her mission is go vegan. Oh, I'm losing it. Go vegan, reduce waste, and support locals. Really, really cool chick. Uh, and I, if you're in the Vegas area, you really got to check out this thing. Uh, check out her website there at the healthyveganrecipe.com. And check out one of these classes in person. It's a really fun experience. Uh, and if Sedona is there, you're going to enjoy it even more because <laughs> she's interrupted every five minutes. She's one of those passionate uh, militant vegans, you know, and uh, zero waste types. Uh, the ride home was more fun than the than the, the class itself because, uh, you know, she's telling me about how um, you call, <laughs> she's fighting with her bosses. It's You're not supposed to be a manager. You didn't know how the paperbacks. That's <laughs> how long you keep the job. Seven months. Yeah, you got, you got fired in a couple of months. Oh, boy. And all the guys to it at Manhouse Cafe, uh, uh Let's encourage them to, to, to get those travel mugs. I was telling some of my first guy I talked to down there, he looked at me like I had two heads, uh, but there's this young woman there who's a vegan as well. And I told her she forgot, <laughs> but I reminded her today. So I'll remind her again. We'll get them to do it too. And, if, and, and I'll give them a couple of plugs on here too. Once they start selling those travel mugs over there at the uh, Madhouse uh, Cafe, the uh, coffee shop there on Eastern and Pebble. And if you stop by, you might see me there. I'm in and out there all the time. If you enjoyed today's show, check out the member section, OmperMenReport.com. Got plenty of new content coming up in there. Uh, um, I really enjoyed today's show. Very uh, energetic uh, young lady. Very uh, pleasant to be around, that's for sure. And her, her class is really... I'm going to get her to do a radio show, too. I'm going to contact her about doing a show and uh, maybe help me with the, the book, too, the uh, Daniel Facebook. But OmperMenReport.com, that's where you get all our content, our special member section. Uh, uh, a lot of shows in there that uh, have never aired uh, for free uh, and uh, a lot of new stuff coming up. I don't know what's coming up next. We'll find out. Don't forget, this show is brought to you by PSCoco.com. Phoebe Saad is an independent curator with the Cocoa Exchange. The Cocoa Exchange is formerly known as Dove Chocolate Discoveries, and they make the finest silky smooth chocolate because the products start with the best cocoa beans, which are tested for quality and flavor by expert technicians. The Cocoa Exchange offers not just premium chocolates, but anything from sauces and spices to brownie and cake mixes and even coffee and martini mixes. If you wish to treat yourself or someone you love to a sweet and tasty gift, then the Cocoa Exchange is the brand for you. 
So you go to PSCoco.com, you click on the Shop Now button, you can see all their beautiful chocolates, you can order it right now tonight, it could be in your mailbox in a couple of days. Or if you want to get into the chocolate business, you want to be a, a chocolateer just like Phoebe Saad, click the Contact Us button and you can learn how to get your own website, go into the cocoa chocolate business and sell chocolate and make a little bit of money there. Remember, all these shows on Awake are brought to you by EmailRevealer.com. You can go to EmailRevealer.com and get a copy of my book, How to Become a Successful Private Investigator. But you also do all kinds of different services for you. An online dating service investigation is called an online infidelity investigation. And that's where you give us your husband or your boyfriend, your girlfriend's email address, and we trace it back to their online dating websites. And we return a list of all the dating sites that that email is registered to. We can expand on that investigation and trace it back to porn sites, escort service sites, swinger sites, gambling websites, and even prescription drug websites. If you think your ex-husband or something is addicted to prescription medication, or involved in an extreme online pornography addiction, we can produce a report for you that you can use in court. Adoption investigations. If you want to locate your birth parents or your birth child you gave away for adoption, we can do, do adoption investigations for you. Asset searches for you. Locate bank accounts, hidden assets, hidden properties, hidden income, all different kinds of services in the asset search investigation. Email tracing. If you need to locate or identify somebody from just an email address, that's emailrevealer.com or you can contact me at oppermaninvestigations at gmail.com. Okay, welcome back. Uh, this is Ed Opperman uh, from the Opperman Report. We are joined by Ruben De Silva, who's running for Congress in District 1 over here in, uh, in Clark County, Nevada. Uh, Ruben, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hey, How great, you doing? great to have you on the show, Ruben. Yeah, it's, it's an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. So There's tell us about it. I know you have a great following out there, and I'm looking forward to engaging with all of your listeners. And and I could definitely, uh, I think most of my listeners would, would be uh, would love you. Uh, so, Ruben, tell us about yourself. Who is Ruben De Silva? Oh man, uh, wait, wait, where should I begin? Well, I can begin uh, with maybe my birthday, you know, January twenty second, nineteen eighty five. And I'm saying that for a reason because uh, January is coming up next month, and uh, you know I, I would I would be uh, greatly willing to take a small campaign contribution as a uh, as a birthday present, twenty dollars and eighteen cents <laughs> is what we're asking for. Small individual contributions would sustain our uh, our campaign here, the, the very people uh, powered grassroots uh, campaign. But I was born in India, actually. I'm in a I'm an immigrant. Uh, my family moved here to the United States uh, in 1987 uh, when I was two years old. We lived in New York City in Queens, and uh, then when I was six. My family made their move here to Las Vegas, and I've uh, pretty much been here ever since. Uh, you know, I attended the local uh, public schools, uh, C.P. Squires, J.E. Manch. I went to Catholic school for three years uh, during my middle school years, and it really did shape me up. You know, I learned how to, I, I always say, tie a tie and uh, shine my shoes. It, 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 was, it was really my Catholic school experience. And then uh, after uh, finishing up there, I went on to Rancho High School, uh, at, at a local high school here in North Las Vegas. And uh, had a good time there. You know, I look back at my high school years, and I, you know, they were good times, great times. You know, I was very involved. I played three sports. I uh, captained the soccer team. I played basketball. Uh, ran track and field. Had a school record there. It was, uh, it was broken actually by one of my current students. I'm, I'm a teacher at Rancho. I'll talk about that here in a second as well. And uh, had had a good time. I was senior class president. Uh, you know, so I, I enjoyed my time at, at, at Rancho High School. It really was a very formative uh, time period in my life, you know, especially in, in regards to uh, serving in these leadership capacities on campus. This is when I first really became somewhat interested in the idea of uh, politics and, uh, and civic uh, civic leadership. So uh, after uh, high school, I went on to uh, the Community College of Southern Nevada, CCSN, as it was known as back then. Today, it's CSN. 
the, the college of Southern Nevada. And uh, after, during my first semester there, I uh, signed up with the Marine Corps. I, I uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps Reserves. This is uh, 2003 now, fall of 2003. And uh, you know what was going on in the, in the country back then, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with, the, with the war in Iraq and everything. So it was a pretty hectic time. And there were so many of my friends uh, who, were, uh, who were joining up and serving in the uh, armed forces. And I come from a very immigrant community uh, in, in, in Las Vegas. Uh, it, it's a majority, either, either we're all immigrants or we're the, the, the sons and daughters of immigrants. And uh, there was this, this real like of feeling that, hey, look, this country has given us so much and this country really needs us right now. So it was a way for us to prove ourselves, you know, that we too are American and that we too uh, are willing to, uh, to fight for this, this, this nation. So and my dad was also somebody who really, uh, who, uh, really uh, spoke about this. He said, you know, this country's given us everything that you know, we have. You know, we don't have. We're not rich or nothing. You know, we live in a small one-bedroom apartment, but this is much better than what it would be, you know, back home. You know, you have an access to an education. You have uh, so much opportunity in this land. Give back a little bit. It would make me proud. So uh, I, I, I enlisted. Uh, he got a little upset that I enlisted in the Marine Corps of, uh, of all branches. He wanted me to go into the Air Force. But uh, I, I did uh, enlist in the Marines. And uh, I was deployed to Iraq uh, in 2006. Uh, this was you know, during the, uh, the surge era. And uh, I was out there in the, uh, in the Sunni Triangle uh, part of Iraq, which is Tikrit. Uh, Baghdad, Fallujah, and my area of operation really was the Fallujah, Ramadi area. And this was, again, a hotbed for the insurgency uh, while I was in Iraq. And uh, we saw some of the heavy, we saw the heaviest fighting our military had uh, since the Vietnam War. So, uh, and I was a part of that. Uh, and I did, uh, I did suffer an injury. I was actually hit by a sniper on a convoy uh, mission through, through the city of Fallujah, downtown Fallujah, uh, in a summer, June of 2007. Uh, and uh, that again began a long period of recovery for me. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty bad wound. I almost ripped my arm off mm. uh, from my just immediately, uh, you know, like below my elbow. And uh, I was medevaced back to Germany. Spent some time in Germany, and then I uh, was uh, sent to Balboa Navy Hospital in San Diego. And I always say San Diego. I always to joke with the uh, the folks who are doing the medevac. Hey, San Diego got a bad place to recover. I'm actually looking forward to getting out there and getting to the, uh, the nice Mediterranean, Southern California climate. Yeah, that's the truth. It's like a vacation. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so I spent I spent a, a year there at Balboa Navy Hospital. Wow. Uh, I had to uh, you know get use of my uh, arm back. I still don't have full use. I can't uh, turn my hand around. I can't uh, extend my fingers out. But I'm a lot better off than uh, many of the other uh, young men and women that were uh, recovering with me. You know, the, 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 I think the ongoing uh, the joke was that you know the, the, these other wounded Marines would tell me, "Hey, look, Ruby, you're lucky." Silva, they say, of course, you're lucky, you got shot, you know, we all got blown up, we have shrapnel everywhere, and I, and I, and it was, they said it like a jokey matter, but it was something I think very serious, I was like, you know, I, I was lucky, you know, I don't get some of these, you know, like, double amputees, triple, you know, triple amputees. Yeah, I have a neighbor, and, uh, I have you know, a neighbor right here, parks right in front of my apartment here in the, in the handicapped spot, mm-hmm. uh, only one leg, mm-hmm. you know, has only one leg, came back from Iraq with one leg. Yeah, yeah. and th- those are the majority of the injuries that we were seeing, you know, uh, in, in, in the war, you know, because the main weapon that was really used against us was, was IEDs. They provide explosive devices, roadside right. bombs. So, uh, you know, and, and you know, so, so I was actually one of the, you know, uh, injured Marines that led a, led a minority injury. I was shot. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wasn't blown up. So, uh, it, and, those, and those are horrendous injuries, you know, uh, when you, when you do that, you know, you're involved in a bombing or an explosion. I mean, you have shrapnel that rips through different parts of your body. You, 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 the, uh, you lose your extremities. Uh, and it's, it's not an isolated wound where you can actually uh, work on it in, in one region of your body as a gunshot is. Mm. And so, uh, 
I know I was, I was, uh, I was blessed, and that uh, you know I never considered myself to be uh, disabled. You know, uh, even though that you know I am, I have a ninety percent disability or eighty percent disability rating from the VA. But uh, knowing that I can live my life, I look normal. I don't have to, uh, you know, wear a prosthetic. You know, I, I can I can live my life as a, as a regular human being. You know, it, 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 I I don't feel the disability, especially seeing how so many of my uh, these, these heroes, really, you know, these Marines and soldiers and sailors, you know, how uh, vastly affected they were by uh, the injuries in, in combat. And it's something that to this very day, I, I think about every single day, you know, uh, uh, just uh, just how uh, how devastating, you know, those war injuries were and how these, these young people, you know, for the most part, is, you know, have been, have been trudging along, you know, raising families, you know, uh, living life. You know, it's, it's really something that motivates me. You know, and it's a, it's it's, a, it's another reason why I'm so involved in uh, veterans issues. It was, it was because of uh, really not just my time in the, in the military, my time overseas, but you know, living at that hospital and uh, being really in the in the company of these people who I consider to be my heroes. Yeah, and, and people can go to uh, uh, thesilver.com, thesilverforcongress.com, or just Google yes. Ruben De Silva, and you'll see pictures of him in his army uniform. It's a very striking young man. Oh, here. Marines, <laughs> the same, Marines, that's the same. Not the army, but oh, the Marines. Did I say army? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was my, uh, you know, I, I, I did eventually get a medical retirement. And uh, I came back to Las Vegas and I finished up my undergraduate uh, degree at UNLV. I did American history. And I wanted to be a teacher. I was thinking about going into something, you know, firefighting or law enforcement, or, you know, or something like that nature. Because of my injury and my disability, that was that. So uh, I decided to. Uh, Become a teacher. My mom was actually an elementary school teacher, preschool teacher here, here in Las Vegas. And I decided to follow her career path. And, uh, but uh, in 2010, the state had those big budget cuts that came down and they had a hiring freeze for teachers. And, uh, you know, so I was in the situation where I'd, you know, gone to the war, got my GI Bill, got, well, got back into school, got a, you know, a degree, got a teaching certificate, and I couldn't get a job. So uh, I was like stuck. And this is, again, I think a, a situation that many of uh, my generation, we millennials are really faced with, you know, this, this uh, economy that was, you know, pretty much completely devastated by the Great Recession. And it's been, it's been a slow recovery since. And you, you are in a situation where you can go to school, get a college degree and not get a job. You'll be, in a, you know, uh, stuck with debt and, uh, and, 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 and be in a situation where your life is going to forward. So uh, what I did instead was I applied to graduate uh, school and I got into some good programs. I got into the University of Pennsylvania uh, and I uh, went out to Philadelphia and I studied uh, global affairs, uh, uh, global studies uh, with a specific focus on religion and globalization, uh, which is something that my interest in this, in this arena was actually sparked by, uh, by my time in Iraq uh, because uh, the big thing out there wasn't the insurgency per se. It was the, it was the, 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 the actual sectarian conflict between the Sunnis and the Shiites. That's where all the, the, that's where the blood battles take place, uh, in Baghdad, especially. And we were about, you know, about 50 miles, 100 miles away from Baghdad, uh, you know, where we were actually stationed. And uh, this was just a sectarian uh, conflict between two Islamic groups, uh, you know, the Sunnis and the Shiites. Uh, you have these death squads that would go around, you know, at night uh, into these households and just, you know, try to, you know, just, just, just kill entire families. And, uh, it was, it was just something that made me think, you know, what is the role that religion plays in global conflict, you know, uh, and, and why is it such a motivating factor for such violence, uh, you know, around the world? And right now we're talking about the Rohingyas in Myanmar, 
mm. in Burma, that's, you know, between the Buddhists and the Muslims, that's a, that's a religious conflict that's becoming, that's quickly turning into a, a, a genocide, you know, so my whole, you know, questioning here was, you know, if, if religion is oftentimes the, uh, the cause of such devastating violence and brutality, it can also, it would have to be part and parcel of any sort of a peace resolution. So, uh, I went into this, uh, into this, into this degree program, into this, uh, into this graduate study, trying to ask that question in the back of my head: How could we, uh, you know, implement an understanding and fostering of uh, of religion, which has which has those tenets of compassion, of love, of reconciliation, you know, with people who you who you uh, necessarily don't get along with, they even hate. You know, those tenets are already available there. How do we implement those into peace processes, diplomatic peace processes? So I finished up my degree at Penn and saw that most of the great work that was coming out you know, in, in that field was coming from Yale. So I put an application in and kept my fingers crossed and actually got in. Mm. So I did my second master's at, at Yale University and I studied comparative religion and politics. And uh, I had had a great time there. I was actually, uh, I, was, I, was, I had a, a teacher there, Ambassador Ryan Crocker, who was the U.S. ambassador to Iraq while I was just a lowly lands corporal, you know, so, and he was he was one of the guys along with General Petraeus who led that entire, entire effort in, in, the, uh, in the war there. And uh, I learned a lot from him. You know, we had a lot of back and forth. You know, I, I come from a more progressive understanding of how, uh, you know, Amer- America should interact with the world. And he and he did to it, I think, in the end, because he was a strong diplomat. You know, his his approach was not that we should, be, you know, ex- exert our military might, you know, or, in, in these uh, in these hot spots. It was more about maintaining a constant communication with people and working things out over the course of uh, over over time. And uh, I, you know, I learned a lot from him. You know, uh, in, in regards to diplomacy and why diplomacy is always more important than uh, than actual uh, war fighting capabilities. So uh, I learned. You know, I had him as a professor. I had I had Tony Blair as a as a teacher there, really? part of his faith and globalization initiative there at Yale University. And again, a brilliant mind. You know, but uh, again, a great opportunity to ask questions of, of somebody who you uh, who you have who you've had differences with in the past. You know, I, you know, one big question was I, I, that came up in class over and over again was, so why, why go to war with, with Iraq? Why, you know, uh, you know, uh, take out Saddam Hussein? And uh, he used to give us a, just, uh, I think, you know, from his perspective, you know, this, his answer was always the same. He said he felt that it was the, uh, the you know, that, that from every, all the information that he had that was coming from the Americans. I think he threw the Americans as a bus oftentimes. <laughs> right. you know, what we getting from the Americans, from George Bush, the CIA, was that they were, Weapons there, and weapons of mass destruction. We couldn't let him, uh, you know, Saddam, uh, you know, have these weapons. But that uh, he did it from a, uh, from a from a point of uh, really just trying to, you know, keep his people safe and the rest of the world safe. But in the, on the same token, I, I find it difficult, you know, that people like Tony Blair, uh, you know, uh, you know George Bush, you know, our, our former president, you know, could really just uh, hinge and, and, and you know, uh, I'm sorry, invade an entire country. On this slight bit of evidence, you know, it's something that's a question, you know, uh, to this to this day, you know, how could that happen? Because you know, I do look at like, you know Iraq, and I, I have a, an intimate connection with Iraq. You know, I went to war there. You know, I, I, there's, there's a piece of me there. You know, I, 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 so much of my blood was shed there. I mean, literally, you know, if it covered mm. the, the the truck that I was in, you know, you know, from that from that gunshot, you know, like uh, what were we doing there? You know, you know, ten thousand you know, uh, casualties in the, in the Iraq war, you know, over uh, 5,000 killed in action, oh, almost 5,000, I should say, <laughs> you know, uh, in, the, in, in, in Iraq itself. 
So, uh, you know, I, I look at it as like one of our great like foreign policy uh, debacles. And, uh, my, my, you know, I, I think that we as, as millennials, especially, and as other Americans, they ask ourselves, you know, how can we avoid getting involved in something like that again? This is the second time we've done it. I mean, Iraq is very similar to Vietnam. So from a foreign policy perspective, you know, it, you know, I, I ask myself that question, you know, what causes us as Americans to, to get caught up in these, in these insurgencies that, that just drain our resources, drain our energy? And uh, make it a more divided country. You know? You know, we'll have to have you back one time and really get into a foreign policy uh, for a whole segment. Uh, but for no, today, I'm totally down for that. That's, yeah. my, that's my expertise. That's what I. That's that's what I do. Yeah, that's I didn't realize that. Training. I didn't realize. I'd love to talk to you about Libya and stuff like that. I'd, I'd really like to get into it with you. Oh yeah. Oh, all that. yeah. That is that is that is my forte. I would love to come back and I discuss uh, global affairs okay. with you. Excellent. Now, um, but but some local stuff here. Now, now you graduated from Yale. You came back and you're a teacher here now locally, and you're running for Congress. Yes, just yes. One. I came back. I came, okay. I came back to Las Vegas. I had the opportunity to go into all sorts of different uh, career fields, you know. Uh, but I, I never lost track of that one understanding, which was that that public education is an inherently good thing. And yes, I can go into you know work as a diplomat. I can. I went to school for that. You know, I, I can. You know, there was these these uh, private schools that were recruiting me out in the East Coast. But uh, my real uh, understanding was that you know we need to, if you want to make the the schools better, we need good quality teachers to serve in these in these public schools. And uh, I actually put the application right into the Clark County School District. There were a lot of people that I was crazy. Even my own dad was saying, "Well, but you just you just graduated, not just one with two Ivy League degrees. You're 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 from the the hood out here in Las Vegas. Go out there and you know do great things. Go you know work on Wall Street. Go go out there and uh, get a job with the State Department, of the United Nations. Why do you want to come back to Las Vegas? Why do you want to come back to your old high school, this inner city high school that's known for being gang affiliated, has one of the highest rates of teen pregnancy?" In, in, in the state that just has all these perennials, uh, economic and social problems. Why do you want to come over here? And my real answer was like, is because I, 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 I feel as if I can best relate to those students. And, you know, I can be a bit of hope, you know, uh, for those kids saying that I sat in your very same, those very same uh, desks. You know, I, I grew up in your neighborhood. Your parents know me, your big brothers and sisters know me. And now I'm your teacher. And I just thought it was the right thing to do. And I decided to, uh, again, you know, you know, come back. And I did get a job at Rancho and I've been teaching this for the last five years. I, I coached the girls basketball team. I advise a, a series of clubs, the Hispanic Student Union, the South Asian Student Alliance, uh, the Polynesian Dance Club and the History Club on campus. And I've had a, a great time. I actually love this career. It, 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 I tell people teaching, public school teaching, especially high school teaching, maybe I'm a bit biased here, is, is the best damn career in America. You know, because on a daily basis, you see the difference that you make. Well, well let me and, ask uh, you this, do, though. I, because yeah. cause right now, like, the yeah. uh, Clark County School District, you know, like, we're, like, number 50, mm -hmm. right? Nevada school, public yeah. schools are the, the last. Aren't we still last? Yeah, yeah. Well, what do we oh, do? Yeah, we, we rank in the bottom 48, 49, 50, according uh. to different pools. Sometimes even 51 behind the Columbia. Well, how do we, we get out of this? Columbia to the mix. How can we get out of that rut? Yeah, it's, that's, that is a very complex question. You know, I, I, uh, I, I meditate on this. You know, almost daily, sometimes I come to those points in, 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 in during the school day, but I'm like, what am I doing here? This is such a difficult, exhausting career, you know. Uh, and uh, as a teacher, I can speak just from the front lines, like what we see and what are some of our problems. I'll say one is just the class sizes. You know, uh, if, you, if you see every in Las Vegas, if you're in the area, I'll, I'll invite you in. You can see just how difficult of an environment it is to work. You know, when you have uh, 45, 46, 50 kids in a classroom. Oh, really? Uh, when uh, you're supposed to only have, you know, about 30 at the most. 
You know, and, all, and all the research and studies say that if you, have, you know, 25 is a good number. You don't want to have more than 25 students in the classroom because then you don't get an intimate one-on-one, uh, you know, ability to, to interact with the teacher. When you have 54 kids, I'm sorry, uh, 44 kids or 46 kids, <laughs> 47 kids, you know, like I had in my uh, uh, six, kid was second or by sixth period last year. It gets difficult, first and foremost, just from a classroom management perspective, but it also does the, the, uh, the students uh, a great deal of, uh, I think they, they get a, uh, a bad deal out of this by not getting as a great of an education because simply by sheer numbers, you don't have the ability to interact one-on-one. Okay, well, then let, let me ask you this then, because it's not like we have a small budget. Nevada has a huge budget for yeah. education. Yeah. So just throw, mm-hmm. how would we reduce the class sizes? By more money or just shuffling the money around? Yeah, you know, that, that's, that's another big thing that we're fighting over. It's, it's not just class size, it's also teacher pay. Yeah. You know, I'll, say, I'll tell you one thing. You know, I've been working in the school district since 2013, five years, a half a decade, and I've never seen a pay increase, never. You know, uh, I've been making $47,000 a year. That's what I make. You know, I, I have two master's degrees, you know, uh, and uh, we don't have the, uh, the annual pay uh, anymore. So uh, it gets difficult. A lot of good teachers, especially more quality ones, to get job offers from... Uh, out of state or have other things they throughout the careers. Well, well then where's all that money going? Really where's all the money in the, money in the school budget happened? going? What's that? The money in the school budget because we got a lot of oh. money. Where's it going? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, where's it going? Where are they spending? Mis- misallocated. Yeah. You know, uh, instead of focusing on things that we really need, oftentimes uh, they'll be, uh, it'll be spent on uh, on uh, stuff that we don't really need in the end. Like, uh, you know, I mean, I'm all for like you know, uh, international travels and so forth. I see some of these schools taking trips, you know, that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, you know, uh, a, a couple of days, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the Europe somewhere, or, you know, the Asia, which is cool, but I think there's, there's other ways of uh, actually uh, getting get the financing for that. Instead of using public dollars, it could be spent on some real crucial needs that the school district is facing, basic needs like textbooks or more teachers or, 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 or building endeavors. You know, I, you know, I've always been, uh, you know, calling for a, the building of maybe a new high school in the northeast uh, central part of uh, of my district, District One, which will alleviate a lot of the the the, uh, the pressures on, on on the school that I'm teaching at and the schools in my area. Mm. You know, I have 3,500 kids at, at the school that I teach at the biggest school in Nevada. You know, it, it gets difficult to try to uh, you know organize uh, you know a, a school now with 3,500 kids, but you know you should have more. So about maybe 2,000. Talking about almost a doubling. Of the uh, the amount of students that are in those classrooms, so these these building projects, I think, you get back into a uh, uh, building uh, schools, uh, you know, uh, 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 raising teacher salaries, uh, <laughs> working on these or these, these overcrowded, uh, you know, uh, classrooms of ours, uh, so on and so forth. As a teacher, that's really been my my main, uh, you know, uh, problem. You know, I know at the administrative level, there's, there's issues with the allocation of funds. Yeah. You know, what, what are we spending money on? What are we not spending money on? Uh, so on and so forth. And uh, I, I still believe that we need to have a very, uh, a, just a, a strong and, and a thorough uh, accounting of, of, of the, uh, the school district as well as the state education budget. Okay, you know? Let me ask you this then, because last night we just had a new uh, tax uh, plan uh, passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think of that? That's, we're doomed. <laughs> yeah, I look at that and I say this is exactly what the type of uh, economic uh, approach that we've had in this country that has failed already in the past. And gonna, this is going to be another... Uh, I think it's just a travesty for us. You know, my biggest issue with the the, the due tax plan is, is this corporate tax rate uh, that that's been cut from like the the thirty five percent marker down to twenty percent. And uh, again, uh, it, it boils on the ideologies. You know, uh, this whole trickle down uh, understanding of uh, how uh, 
our economy is supposed to work. It just it, it, it's proven to have not been able uh, to have a body sort of a uh, dynamism in our economy. There's no mandate as to you know where that that saving that your corporations are going to make from this tax cut, where it's supposed to be implemented. I even implemented this into a higher paychecks for your workers, better working conditions for those who are employed uh, by you, or you know like better training. Or I just are you just going to go into uh, derivatives or uh, or uh, you know buying shares in your company so on and so forth? You know uh, where is the money going to be uh, utilized? So I think that having a more regulated approach to the uh, to our taxation system. And, uh, and and to be honest with you, a higher corporate tax rate is, is, is overall just a better uh, approach to, uh, uh, to to our economy, and then, you know, then, then to have that that actual uh, you know ability to finance some of our important social programs. You know, I think this is this is this is not the right approach, and uh, we're going to see some uh, repercussions uh, from this. And what, what about a state tax? What's that? A state tax. You know, the estate tax. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of the estate tax. Yeah, I you know, know, I think it's one of the it's one of the ways that the wealthy have remained wealthy. You know, and then they may be seeing this divergence, this this massive uh, income and wealth inequality that's been built up in this country. And the estate tax has a lot to do with it. You know, uh, you know. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I know, I know, you know this. That we live in a, in a period in our history where the uh, the uh, the wealth inequality that is greatest. I, I think the Gilded Age was the last time we saw such massive uh, difference between those who have and those who have not. And there's been this real erosion now of the uh, <clears throat> of the middle class and the opportunities that the middle class used to have. And uh, you know, uh, one big reason for this has been like the, the, this, this trickle down approach to the economy. These these uh, these uh, these real like, loopholes in our tax system that allow the we- the wealthy to maintain. Uh, exorbitant amounts of wealth. Yeah, yeah. And, just uh, when I look at my own personal generations. Yeah, when I look at my own personal quality of life and my own personal quality of life since Reagan started this trickle down stuff till today, it's you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can personally I tell you it doesn't work. Now, now, what about yeah. uh, your opponent? Your opponent in this case, uh, how? What makes you better? Why should we vote for uh, Ruben da Silva uh, rather mm-hmm. than uh, your opponent Dita Titus? Yeah. And, you know, my, my thing about Dina Titus is that, uh, you know, she's in nothing, uh, you know, against her. You know, I think she's done a, a good job. She's, uh, she's been in politics for over, uh, almost, this is her fourth decade now in politics. But I think the environment has changed. I don't think she represents this district, uh, well. Uh, you know, this is a majority minority district. This is a district that is, uh, you know, socioeconomically, uh, the, you know, the lowest on our, on our, on our, on our strata here. You know, uh, it's a very working class district. You know, Dina Titus is a millionaire. Uh, you know, and I think that does have a lot to do with, you know, how you resonate with people, you know, when, you, when you're a millionaire and you're making so much money, oftentimes you do, you are a couple steps removed from the people. I'm a school teacher. I, I live and breathe the issues of District 1. You know, I, I you know, I, I've been in a situation where my VA benefits have been taken away from me. And I, I'm, I'm stuck in a situation now where I might not be able to make my mortgage payments. You know, I know uh, being, uh, the feeling of being unemployed and not having uh, any sort of a uh, job security. You know, just a couple of years back, you know, I I I know these uh, these issues. I, I you know, this is a very immigrant uh, community here. You know, I was an undocumented immigrant in this country for many years before I finally received my papers. You know, they were, uh, you know, I, my mom was actually called in to be deported. You know, so I I, I know the, that 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 uh, that feeling very well. I'm not several steps removed from the uh, the, the these issues. You know, I, I served in the war. You know, I, I know the uh, the issue that uh, that, that these veterans are facing when they lose their benefits, uh, when they can't get uh, access to medical treatment, when they uh, have to uh, wait for months and months and months, oftentimes to see a doctor. I had to do the same thing. 
you know, so again, these are, this is why uh, I think I would make a much better voice for the people of District 1 because I am, you know, I'm a, I'm a regular average Joe. Uh, I've had a you know great life experience. You know, I did get an Ivy League education. I served in war. I got a purple heart, you know. But at the same token, I am a working class, uh, you know, resident of the district. I'm a school teacher. I'm at the front lines of us. Uh, you know, so many of our uh, our great issues that the district is facing. It. And then, uh, uh, secondly, I will also say that uh, that I, if you look at the future of the Democratic Party, you don't see a Dinatitis. You see a Ruben de Silva. Mm. And uh, and uh, again, I, I don't want to like talk about myself, but I think when you look at who I am and what I bring to the table, you know, my, uh, the fact that I'm a veteran, a war hero, quote unquote, you know, in, in, as a Democrat, as a progressive, and whether the Republicans and conservatives say that we progressives are, are, are unpatriotic, we don't love this country, we don't, uh, we don't have any sort of, a, a, you know, real like patriotism about us, that's not, that, that's totally wrong. I love this country. I love America so much. I'll I, I keep my life up again. You know, go out there and you know, put my situation where I could be killed in combat again for this country because it's the country that's given my family everything. Okay, Ruben, you know, we uh, only have a couple of seconds. Yeah. So, uh, real, I know yeah. a lot of people listening to this particular episode are concerned about the environment, about our local environment mm-hmm. here in Las Vegas. What can you do for us in that uh, direction? Uh, the local, well, I am a big uh, uh, supporter of uh, renewable energy, of, uh, of, uh, of actually just being a little bit more uh, focused on sustainability. You know, so I think that, you know, if I could find ways as, as a federal representative now to actually implement policies that could have a more local effect, i.e. getting grant funding for maybe a, a plant that's uh, more focused on sustainability or renewable energy or recycling, something as simple as recycling, I'd be definitely, uh, you know, looking into those uh, those ways, those approaches of, uh, you know, helping bring, you know, uh, bring resources to the local community where we could be a more sustain, sustainable-based uh, uh, environment. Uh, here in Southern Nevada. And I think we have a lot of potential for that. I think the solar industry is something that uh, we have a lot of uh, potential. Yeah, we got plenty of wind, Nevada. too. We got wind coming out of our ears. We've got more wind than we can use. Geothermal. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Geothermal, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm a big proponent of it. You know, I believe that climate change is one of the uh, greatest uh, threats to this planet. You know, that we're seriously facing some major environmental uh, issues. You know, we have to be more conscious about uh, our effects on, uh, on, on our environment. And the transformative effects that these uh, these these uh, climate change is going to have on 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 the on the planet, uh, it's, it's going to put our ourselves and even and our children and grandchildren for sure in a, in a great deal of difficulty. Okay, and, Ruben, uh, again, real quick, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much uh, you know concerned about the environment. It, it, is, it is actually one of my uh, my, my prime focuses. When, yeah. when is the primary? You know, I can talk about like, the Paris Accords. I can right. talk about all of that, but I don't, I don't know if you want to get all wonkish with me right now. No, we don't. We don't have that. <laughs> a couple today. seconds left. Yeah. Well, when is the primary, and how can people donate, and how can people volunteer for you? Well, sure. The primary is going to be uh, in uh, June of 2018. The actual election itself begins the early early election, early voting on May 26th, and uh, we need all the help. You know, if you uh, send me a text message to this phone number, I'll say the phone number right now: seven zero two. Four one two nineteen thirty. Once again, that's seven zero two four one two nineteen thirty. We'll be able to uh, get your information and uh, <clears throat> and then uh, get you signed up. Uh, our website is www.desilvaforcongress.com. Again, my name is spelled uh, D S I L B A four F O R Congress C O N G R E S S dot com. So. Uh, Send us a uh, an email. There's, there's, there's a messaging marker there. If you want to contribute, you can contribute right from our uh, from our website. And all contributions are added to us. We really focus on getting getting these small individual contributions. And we've been doing a good job. 
you know, for bringing them in. This has really sustained us. We were able to open up a campaign office. We've been able to uh, finance canvassing efforts, phone banks, uh, so much, uh, you know, just through these small individual contributions. So that's really the lifeblood of our movement here. And, um, you know, we, 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 we'll take anything. Okay. Five Ruben. bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks. Because you got no oil companies. There's really no nice. oil companies <laughs> but, uh, donating to Ruben. Ruben, thank you so much. We got to go. Ruben De Silva for Congress District 1. And you can check out his website as De Silva. You can have your ad played here at OppermanReport.com. Every Friday night, 5 p.m. and Saturday night, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And on Friday nights, too, we do a live portion for one hour that I just do a live monologue. The ads are very, very inexpensive, and they're also played in the Opperman Report member section. In the member section, you can find all kinds of exclusive content that you won't find anywhere else. It's as cheap as $6 a month, $20 a quarter, or $75 for a year. If you contact me directly at OppermanReport at gmail.com. I'll set you up with a little special deal there where you get a discount if you PayPal me directly and you even get a copy of my book. I want to thank Sean Duff from strawman.com. He runs the website. He runs the, uh, the, the, the member section. And I also want to thank William Ramsey, who helps us to produce the show and book guests. You can find Sean Duff at strawmanmusic.com. He's an excellent musician. You can find William Ramsey, who's an excellent author, at William Ramsey Investigates on YouTube. 